Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is O from Locker Room BO. Uh, we're bringing you another episode, and we got one of our good friends today, Desiree Ramirez. Um, so go ahead, uh, Desiree, introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome, and uh, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm so excited to meet you, Brandon, and to reconnect with Oscar. Uh, it's going to probably be a little strange for me to say B-O or O-B in this entire segment, so I might just refer to you as your first names. Um, or sorry, I might just say bro. Uh, my, <laughs> name <is> Desi- <laughs> my name is Desiree Ramirez. Um, I have a friendship with Oscar from the past uh, 11 years from high school to current day. And um, really honored to be able to be on this podcast for two reasons. One being um, this is a male dominated podcast and I'm aware that most of the listeners are males. So this is a great opportunity <clears throat> at Someone who identifies as a woman, someone who identifies as a female of color, someone who identifies as a female who is enduring and growing in her own personal journey of wellness and health through mental, physical, and spiritual. This is a great opportunity to bring in a voice from someone that could represent that side of town. And um, I really appreciate you guys having me on here. I'm a sexual assault activist and advocate. Um, I Typically, I'm able to do some uh, speaking engagements when we're not in COVID, <laughs> and um, I go around and I do storytelling on consent and prevention and um, just educating people on how to be mindful of the journey for those who have endured any form of trauma or sexual abuse in their lives, whether they identify as male, female, non-binary, and regardless of the age and class they identify in. Um, and then now that we're in COVID, I just picked up my camera, started doing fashion photography again, and just selling resale, uh, reselling vintage clothes from home to get that money so I can go back to work. No so doubt. That's just a little bit about me. I've um, been married for two and a half years to my longtime boyfriend of nine years. So that's been a really great blessing. And that's well, congratulations awesome. on being married for two and a half that's years. Awesome. That's awesome. Congrats. Thank you. Oh. I appreciate that. So Desiree, uh, you kind of mentioned a little bit, you know, of as far as like what, what you do as far as being an activist and what exactly it's for. Um, and you sent me earlier the link to your story and, you know, kind of why you're involved in, in that. And I already told you this, but I'm going to repeat it. You know, I, I appreciate you sharing that with me and with B as well. Um, we listened to it as much as we could. Up, we kind of already had a time where we were, were going to meet and kind of talk about this a little bit more. Um, you that that podcast is available, right, for yeah. anybody? Okay. Um, not sure if that's where you want to go with that. Like that I like- said, this is our platform to you to go ahead and educate us as well as hopefully our audience to you know the awareness of sexual assault and kind of everything that you've done, everything that you've gone through, and and how you've you managed to you know to move past it. Uh, or to where you're at right now, you know, obviously I'm sure there's still some things that you might be working out, but um, thank you. I appreciate you. You know, it, it's just, you're so, you're so brave into doing that. And I'm sure you've heard it before, but it doesn't stop it from being true. You know, um, I, I don't know exactly numbers, statistics and stuff like that, but I'm sure there's a lot of people um, that are victims that just stay quiet. Mm-hmm. you know and it takes a lot for you to share something uh like this and i had also had told her that i wanted to share something with you after the conversation we were having over messages um 
something that you've that you've mentioned before is that you felt free you know by coming out and and talking about this kind of stuff and even though i i have a small idea of what you mean by setting you free my situation isn't as close to what you're what you experienced but um i also made this podcast to kind of be an outlet for me and you know maybe some things for 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 brandon as well uh there was one episode where i kind of did it on my own and i just expressed everything that i was feeling and that episode wasn't really meant <laughs> to be out but i wanted it to be out because i wanted a certain person to hear it without and ha- kind of have the conversation without any kind of interruption and any kind of arguing going on for that particular subject. Um, Mm. But that, that freed me because I was able to express whatever I needed to do. And I felt better towards myself, not what I did just towards myself. And, and, and I can move forward into forgiving myself for what I've done. Um, So I hope that I can also inspire people like the way you've inspired. Like, have you told me millions of people, well, not millions, but, a lot of people have reached out to you and, and thank you for doing that. And us here in locker room, BO, we just want to thank you up front for, for doing this and, and for continuing to stay strong. Definitely Desiree. Very inspirational. We appreciate you for being on here. Thank you. I appreciate it. I am so grateful um, because I, then my entire life changed in less than 24 hours from the moment it happened in 2016 and um, prior prior to uh, the assault itself, um, I was young. I was post-graduated from college, going through that post-college depression, not being able to find a job. Like, you went to school for five years, got two degrees, and you can't find a job. So, like, I was starting to become woke that there was something with my mental health journey that, well, let me rephrase. Let me speak in the context of where I was at at 23. Um, I didn't understand that I was even in a space of depression because I had yet to hear get to learn, get to know what depression was. You just mm. felt that murky feeling that just doesn't mm. feel right when you wake up in the day and you're like, woe is me and you're feeling sad. Um, but I masked it. I was like, maybe it's my weight. Lost 20 pounds, got hella cute and sexy out of nowhere. Mm. Um, and then my husband proposed, or Beyonce, I was going to say Beyonce. Excuse me. Well, yeah, he, my boyfriend that later became my fiance proposed to me. So I'm living high, like, okay, I'm looking good. I got my high school students back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just landed my dream job in Los Angeles, working with a fashion company. Like all those woes are now being masked because all these little merits are lining up. Um, mm-hmm. And during that season, I actually uh, kind of negated my mental health by saying like, oh, so many physically superficial things are happening for me. So therefore I don't have to deal with what's going on in the mental. Um, and I kind of see, I think in hindsight today, who I am at 27, three years into my healing, it took my assault for me to get my ass in therapy. The assault was the ice cream, excuse me, the assault that I refer to on my personal podcast called Becoming Ramirez Podcast. I refer to my sexual assault as a cherry on top of an already melted ice cream cone. You want to add it up there to make it look cute and taste a little better, but it was already coming down. You just kept trying to mask it by adding sprinkles, adding a little flavor here and there, but your ice cream was already melting. My mental health was already going down. I just kept masking it with like all these great job merits that I'm getting now, all these great opportunities, moving to Los Angeles, getting my my body slim thick again and all these things, uh, just getting engaged. 
And um, my assault happened on December 29th, 2016, two days before the new year. I had plans for 2017. 2017, right. my wedding was booked. 2017, our venue was booked. 2017, my dress was already ready for me to go and try it on for the wedding. 2017, we had already renewed our lease. All these things were planned for 2017, two days before 2017 even struck. Two days, December 29th, 2016. Um, I got in my car, I was leaving a concert and I told my buddies and I naturally have friends that represent all colors of the rainbow and I'm grateful, so, so grateful and humbled that I do have a eclectic, diverse friend group. And um, my buddies are like, yo, you kind of buzzing. You sure you want to um, drive home? And I'm like, hey, look, I'm not driving to Los Angeles where I live with my fiance. I'm gonna go stay at my parents' house who live in Bloomington slash Rialto. And um, my parents are about 15 minutes, so it's all good. Like, I'm going to take the drive. They're like, you cool? You want to stay the night, girl? Like, you buzzing, chick. Like, you buzzing. My head was like, boo, I ain't about to be boo-boo the fool. Like, my own fiance going to find out I stood the night with my homies. Like, that, that yeah. ain't right. So I was like, nah, I'm going to just drive to my mom's house. I'm, I'm buzzed, but I'm good. Um, get in my car. Start getting on the freeway, the 215 freeway in Riverside. Uh, leaving my buddy's house because we all carpooled there. So on the way back, I just was hopping back in my car to head home or to stay at my mom's. And I knew I had work in the morning because I lived in Los Angeles and worked in Los Angeles at the time. My mentality was when you're back in the day of uh, 23, 24, you're like, I can party all night. I just need two, three hours of sleep and I'll get up and go to work. I mean, yep. I, I've, I've done that. Have you done that? Oh, man. The Stater sure. Brothers was a way of life for sure. <laughs> yep, yep. So that was uh, where my mindset was, you know? And um, I was just like, no, nah, the concert was great, bro. I had a good time. I'm just going to head to my mom's house. Drive to my parents. Well, I turn on my ignition, put my GPS on my little phone, put it on the dock. And then I see like 15 minutes away from my parents. I'm like, oh, cool. I'm, yeah, I'm buzzed, but I'm good. I'll make it 15 minutes. Um, the moment I pulled out of the uh, side parking spot that I was at on the outside of the apartments complex, um, I start driving and this car behind me has extremely bright taillights. And I'm like, damn, like I'm driving and I'm looking in my rearview mirror like, gosh, I can't even see because this car behind me's taillights are blinding me out in my own little Nissan that I had. The light turns green. I start to merge onto the freeway to make my way home. Um, this guy speeds up and smacks me in the back of my bumper on my car, in my car. And the first thought that sinks in my stomach is, oh my God, he just hit my car. I'm going to get in so much trouble. The right. irony, you know, the irony in hindsight, when I look back on this from the journey, like he struck my vehicle. So why would I get in trouble? He struck mm -hmm. me. He got yeah. me from behind. Um, so he starts honking his horn. We hadn't even fully made it onto the freeway yet. We were on the on-ramp merging. Um, it's the 215 freeway in Riverside. I forgot exactly what, I think it was university. We were getting on university and then yeah, okay. um, that kind of provides perspective. Everybody yep. knows, yep. everybody knows this freeway. Someone's driven it at some point that lives in IE. And, um, we're now kind of like sidewise. I mean, we're back to back. His car's behind me. And he gets out the car and I look in my side rear mirror and I'm like, oh, shoot, he's walking to my car. Um, I still wasn't nervous at this point. I was just like, shit, I'm kind of buzzed. Right. <laughs> get out of the car. And um, this is where flash forward three years later, 
I'm fully conscious, fully aware that my intoxication was no reason for him to sexually abuse me and assault me. Um, that that was victim blaming in its finest. He used the fact that I was drunk as the reason for him to rape me. Otherwise, it was, I'll call the cops and they'll take you in for drunk driving. So a series of events led from him manipulating the conversation. Neither my car or his car had any damage. So he had already been a three-time offender. This oh, came wow. out later on when I went to trial. Um, this guy had struck three girls, three girls in the month of December, I being the third one. The first two, um, he robbed um, and like took their cell phones and may have like um, scared them with me. He fully penetrated me and he robbed me, stripped me naked and um, threatened to murder me on the side of the road. And his excuse was I asked for it because of what I was wearing. His excuse was because I was intoxicated his excuse was um, I shouldn't have been drunk driving to begin with. His reasons were um, I was a slut bitch who deserved it. And wow. I was, this whole experience from the moment I got out of my vehicle, from him making a lot of threats to my face was heavy. It was burdensome because I, I'm 4'11". I'm a really small person. <laughs> um, I'm 4'11". At that time, I was like 120 pounds. And um, I can go in later on to what I was wearing. And it's really sad that it was nothing to ever provoke anything upon me. Um, he was a bad person with bad intent. And I happened to be the victim of a situation at the wrong timing. He followed me later on in trial. They pulled back the footage and saw that he was following me from the moment I gave a hug to my friends and said goodnight. Um, really? So he had already planned out the attack. He had already mastered how to hit the vehicle hard enough to strike it so that you feel the 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 hit, the collision in your seat, but not enough to damage the vehicle. Because mind you, I was the third victim at this time. Right. The first victims, they had paint on their bumpers. I didn't have any paint on my bumper. He never touched my car at all. So there was never no way of pulling fingerprints. Um, he got caught because he was already a high profile rapist in the area that Riverside County Police Department was already investigating on how to catch him. The only reason why he was caught was because I fought back and um, ran half naked on the freeway to find a phone and I kid you not here we are 2016 there's no phone booths anymore in that situation I wish there was a phone booth because I ran from university all the way to the exit of Blaine and I oh my god I ran it so fast I'm I'm a heavier girl now I'm a little thicker um but back in the day I could be 100 pounds and it would take me at least an hour to run a mile because I hated running but uh there is superhuman strength there is superhuman natural strength that comes upon you in fight fight flee mode where you are able to obtain that type of endurance and power so um in that moment he he the way he lured me to the attack um obviously i got out my vehicle to exchange information or at least see what our damage was um in that moment this gentleman did not look like he was homeless or he didn't look like he was on drugs he looked like a regular person just like us and um, he had a hoodie on, so that was a little suspect, but it was around two something in the morning. So I was like, it's cold outside, so maybe. Um, and then he keeps repeating to me, like, you're drunk, you're drunk, you're drunk driving. He grabs my wrist and noticed I had a concert band on and goes, where are you coming from? Where are you going? It was so persistent with these antagonizing questions that it never even gave me an opportunity to respond back. I was coming down from my buzz, processing like, who is who? Asking me like 21 Right. Questions. And I, when I finally got the 
opportunity to murmur out some words. And I was still like, oh my God, he's going to call the cops and I'm going to get a DUI. And this is the end of my career. It's just starting. Like all these things I had for 27, I was um, automatically shaming myself in that exact moment. Mm-hmm. And um, he says, go get your license and registration. And I'm like, look, there's no reason. And before I could finish saying there's no reason for us to exchange like that because I have no damage, you have no damage. Apology accepted. Let's go about our merry way. Before I could even say those words, um, he's like, get your license and registration. And I was like, look, there's no, get your license and registration. And he screams in my face and it scared me. For the first moment, I was terrified. Like this dude um, in the, at the time of this altercation, I believed at that time, I believed he was about a hundred and maybe 70 pounds, maybe five, six. When I actually testified against him a year later, he actually was six foot two, 280 pounds. But because the experience was so quick and fast and I didn't comprehend his sizing and all of that until I went to court and had to reface and see him. And I was blown away. Even the, the jury was like, I mean, not the jury, the, um, the judge, excuse me, the judge was like, scientifically, it makes no sense that someone of this height and someone of this stature could have gone away from someone of this size. And um, when I walked over, I know I'm flashing back and forth with the story, but it kind of helped provide context to who I was, where I was, what I am today and who I am and what even provoked me to become an advocate to begin with. Um, and he scared me. So I walk over to where do you hold? Uh, I'm going to ask you, gentlemen, where do you put your license and registration in your vehicle? Uh, top uh, visor. Okay, Brandon? Uh, license in my wallet. And then I got my um, registration like in my glove compartment. Usually. Okay. So yeah. my, my glove compartment, my license was yeah. in my wallet. But in that moment, I was like, let me just get my registration. It was in my glove, okay. glove, yeah. uh, glove box. So um, that causes you to have to do a 180 on your vehicle, right? And walk around into the passenger side. So as Mm -hmm. I walk over to the passenger side and lean in, in the attempt to open my glove box, um, he strangles me from behind and holds me at knife point and immediately starts stripping me down and insulting me. And um, calling me a lot of names, a lot, a lot of names, uh, horrific things that even in like some crazy toxic high school relationship, you wouldn't say to another female. And uh, he was very adamant that what he was set out to do and what he was set out to finish, which was to murder me. And um, in that moment, you are so paralyzed with fear. Your only response is to cooperate. So in hopes that they'll have a change of heart and let you go. Um, And in cooperate, I think people misunderstand what cooperation and consent means. Those are two different things. Uh, My mentality in cooperate was go along with as much as you can before he penetrates so you can run away. And um, the gravity of his strength and his height made it almost physically impossible. And um, I had a moment where I actually told told him, screaming, stop, please stop doing this. You're hurting me. You're, You're hurting me. I don't want to die. Um, you don't have to do this. Uh, you kind of like trying to scream at someone to stop their actions. And then you're also trying to de-escalate them to think through, you know, sir, you don't have to do this. This isn't the right way. Um, and at one point with the, the, 
pooling of my clothing. Um, when he got to my underwear lining, there's elastic on majority of our female underwear. And as he's yanking on my um, elastic of my underwear line, I'm resisting. So I'm pulling to the left, he's pulling to the right. So and hence, you're pulling in opposite directions. My body's mm -hmm. trying to pull away from him and he's trying to pull me into him. Uh, by some powerful supernatural presence, and I, whether people say it's a coincidence, I do believe in God, and I do believe that there's power in that. The elastic of the, excuse me, they weren't underwear, they were Spanx. And I know y'all got females in your lives. <laughs> if you ever see a female get into some Spanx or some type of underbody um, garment, garment, hosiery, those are so thick. You got to shimmy up into those and shimmy out of them and fold out of them. Um, I was wearing that under the dress that I was wearing. So he is trying to pull these spanks off of me. And obviously it's a fight because they're very tight. And um, through that resistance, some supernatural thing happened where they split right down the middle. They just completely split. And because of the gravity and the force of how he was pulling from me, um, I flew a good distance back and landed on my back, my butt. Everything was exposed because I had just gotten stripped. Um, but I landed so hard that my tailbone was messed up for a little while. My body was in lots of aches and pains. And in that moment, from the friction of us yanking apart from one another, um, he flew back. And in that moment, the first thing I heard in my head was run. Like that's all I heard was run. And, um, in scary movies, they always say, don't look back, don't look back. Um, that was what was going through my head as I start running half naked on the freeway and exposed and all my ingestional body parts, my nose, my mouth, my ear, my vaginal, my rectum, everything is open and exposed. And it's almost three in the morning now and it's freezing. It's December 29th. So I got really sick in the after effects of the healing. I got very, very sick. I caught asthma, um, bronchitis, all these things from all these open canals, breathing in all of this air from the distance from University to Blaine Street. Um, and I just kept running. And in my head, I just kept saying, don't look back, don't look back, don't look back. If you look back, you're going to slow down your run. Um, so I just kept running and running. And as I was running, I just prayed out loud. I just prayed out loud with the best of whatever mouth of breathing I had. So I was so winded. I was so winded. I've never ran that fast in my life. And um, I just start praying to my ancestors who've passed away in years prior to me. I prayed to my cousin who passed away two years before me and we were the same age. So I start praying to her. I'm like, cousin Alex, grandpa, uncle, cousin. I start praying out loud. I'm like, I don't want to die. I'm not ready to go. I'm not ready to go. Please save me. Whatever you have to do to put your guardian angels around me to get me to a safe space, please save me. And I'm crying, running, I'm coughing. I start putting my finger out like a thumbs up thinking that someone might pull over you see a half naked girl running on the freeway bleeding down her legs like thinking maybe they'll pull over and as i'm extending my thumb out like for a hitch for a ride um i get scared and i'm like what if they're with him like my my, my ptsd developed right then and there right or with him or what if he hopped in his car and i don't recognize his car and what if he tries to scoop me back up so my next mindset was to hop the rail of the freeway and hide in the weeds that are on the sides of the freeways you know how like, there's sometimes those little grass fields um that was my next instinct was to hide lay down and hope that he drives past you um 
And before I could even do it, I happened to recognize that there was an exit coming up, but it was all incline and I was already winded. And I was like, I'm not going to make it to that exit. I'm bleeding. I'm exhausted. I don't know where else I'm bleeding from. I just can see the visible parts of where I'm bleeding. Um, I'm winded. I'm, I'm going to pass out. And I, it took like literally the last wind in me to make it to the exit sign. And just so happened at the Blaine exit on the right hand side, there's Arco gas station. Um, the footage is horrific. I've asked to never see the footage ever again. Um, the police, when they used it for the trial, I refused to see it. There was footage of me running in from the parking lot because there's cameras in the parking lots of, yeah. the, of the gas stations. The footage of me running in, you can see I'm crawling up the on-ramp and I'm, it looked like walking dead, really. Um, coming up the on-ramp and I'm running in or attempting to run at some some speed um, into the Arco gas station and then the footage switches to when I actually made it into the gas station and the clerk dropped everything in their hands and they saw me and I at this point I couldn't talk anymore because I was so winded from the run I remember mouthing um, heavily mouthing because I was like because <gasps> I was wheezing at this point asking can I please use your phone can I please use your phone and um, the clerk was a male and bless his heart, he meant no wrong. He was an Indian male and just so kind and so concerned about my safety and the fact that I was bleeding all over their floor. Um, he immediately goes to embrace me and to cover me, but I was in immediate PTSD and frantic mode that I push him away and start screaming and crying. And I just keep yelling at him. I just need to call, I need to call my dad. I need to call my dad. This is where it hits home because. Oscar, you have a female daughter and um, yeah. this is, I can tell my story over and over, but the part that gets me the most emotional is the, the gravity of my dad knew something was wrong that night because he couldn't sleep. And um, I haven't called my parents' landline, their house number in probably 15 years. They still have it though. For, I don't know what reason. Um, and in that moment when the man hands me the, Arco gas station phone or whatever. Um, the first number I dialed was my parents' house number. I hadn't called that number in 15 years, but because I was in full blown state of panic, PTSD, I then later in my three years of journey of healing and therapy, that when you are put in a position of immediate panic, you result back to the first stage of your trauma. So my first stage of trauma derived when I was a child. So by default, now that I'm in full flown effect trauma as a young adult, your mind and your body and your spirit goes back to what was the first thing that made you feel whole when you were in trauma as a child. And that was my father. So my immediate reaction was to call daddy to come rescue and save me. Um, I call, my dad picked up without even a full ring. Um, he was, couldn't sleep all night. He kept wondering, something's not right. Him and my mom kept tossing and turning, like something isn't right. I don't know, why isn't Desi text us? She made it home to her house in LA yet or something. Um, the phone didn't even fully ring. It went like not even a full ring. And he's like, Desi. And I was like, daddy. And I just immediately start crying. Yeah. Um, I didn't know where I was. I wasn't familiar with the Riverside area. Um, Riverside became very haunting for me after the assault happened. And I had no intentions of ever revisiting that city. Um, <laughs> irony and full circle moment. I ended up actually working for the county and the city of Riverside as an advocate and activist for survivors two years later. Um, my dad came, him and my mom. Uh, there's a lot more in details of this that could go on, but I don't want to take too much of our time. Um, 
And it's all covered in my personal podcast. Um, because it was a high profile case, I never actually disclosed my name to the public. Uh, when they went to the news, when it went to newspapers and was on TV, um, I asked them to blur out my image and refer to me as Jane Doe. I'd never had any intention of going public with my story. I didn't even understand what happened to me. Um, I thought, oh, I was being kidnapped. And he just was like, oh, why? this is even better. Um, I created a story in my head to minimize my pain. Um, I created a story in my mind and my heart and everything to demystify what horrific incident really happened to me. And um, once I began my healing journey, and I, I say that because it wasn't until February 2017, so a little over a month after it happened to me, that I got tired of hearing everybody say, you should go to therapy, you should go to therapy, you can't just dust this under the rug, you can't just show up back to work and pretend this didn't happen. Happened to me on a Wednesday, I was back in the office on Monday, I just told my boss I got in a car accident, and I didn't have a car, um, which was kind of which was true it was a car accident and the police yeah. took my car in yeah they, they took my car in for evidence and fingerprinting but um i wasn't ready i wasn't ready i was so terrified that my 2017 would get completely taken over because of this in incident and in now at 27 it's like well no shit sherlock your entire life is going to change um, but try telling that to someone who just turned 24 was living large in her merits and in her physical presence and just engaged and going to start this new life with her boyfriend or fiance in los angeles try explaining that to someone who is such an extreme workaholic and finds their validation in their work How, try explaining that to someone like sweetheart you are not going to be the same person ever again because of the situation and um i was in denial I refused. I refused to believe what they were telling me. And they were experts. They knew kind of the, what the afterlife looks like of an assault. And um, I was in hell of denial for a while. And then I finally, I started my therapy in February, 2017. And um, I was mean and ruthless and hated being there. I hated walking into double doors that said rape crisis center because I was in denial that I was raped. I was just like, I was drunk that night. So he saw an opportunity. He's like, oh, I guess I could rob her. Oh, I guess I can do this. I guess I could steal her car. I guess I could take all the things in her trunk. I guess I could strip her down. So society, this is very important, gentlemen. It's so easy for us to say, well, what was she wearing? That's never an invitation. It, oh, well, she was drunk. That's yes, never. Yes, ma'am. It's never an invitation. And I, coming from a mentality at that time from being poorly educated in what consent and healing is and, and poor, like I just was lacking education and understanding what trauma even is, despite it even being sexual. Everyone endures trauma at some point in their life. Whether it's the trauma of a parent walking out on you at a young age, whether it's the trauma of growing up with abusive parents or being in abusive relationships, whether it's the trauma of always having to endure funeral after funeral from a young age, trauma is present on all levels. And we cannot compare that or play competition with it. Like, oh, well, your trauma is worse than mine or, or his trauma is worse than mine or their trauma is worse than mine. No, all of our trauma is equal. There is never no one up. Mine is graphically a little bit more different, but it doesn't change the same PTSD and after effects of anxiety and depression that developed from someone who may have lost a loved one. It's all the same. We all endure pain on the same level different elevations and different velocities of it at different times in our life for when they are triggered but um trauma is equal on all levels and i think people have to come to the understanding that because sexual violence and sexual abuse is 
dramatized and glorified in Hollywood film and especially in conversation. The f- most father's worst fear is for their child to be sexually assaulted. Most women's fears are to be sexually assaulted. Most men's fears are to be sexually assaulted by someone of their same gender. But the reality is it is happening every 72 seconds. That's statistically proven. And that's also based off of what reports are coming in. Not everyone reports because of the fear of not being believed and the fear of having to tell their story and someone say, well, that explains it. You were drunk. That's why. That's why he did it. That immediately devalues the human person, not the gender of the person, but it devalues the human identity and existence of an individual by shutting them down from the moment they get to share. And um, I never had an intention to report. I was so traumatized by what happened to me. I couldn't understand what just happened to me. My plan was to call daddy. Daddy and mom come pick me up. My dad uses the spare car keys, go picks up the car, and we shove this under the rug because I had grew up in a Latino culture where you don't discuss things like this. You push it under the rug, and most people of color do have this sad generational curse in their family where you shove these things under the rug. But lo and behold, the cops got there before my parents did because Clark called the cops in his rightful way of doing so. I, I thank him. He played the hero in the middle of all this. Right. Had that gentleman never called the had the clerk um, never called the police, none of this would have ever been reported. We would have never got him off the streets. So for the record, I never reported. I was- I don't want to interrupt you, Desiree. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. You don't think you're dead? Oh, you cut off. All right, say that again? You don't think your dad would have called? Am I cutting off? Uh, Uh. No, I heard you now. You said you don't think your dad would have called? Yeah. Um, My dad was outraged, uh, furious, uh, my dad is a, a saved, recovered cholo. <laughs> um, uh-huh. But that, but that yeah. night, okay. that night, that night, okay. seeing the look on my dad's face, um, my dad was ready to kill somebody. One hundred percent. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. And, um, knowing I have a father who has that background, um, who lived the gang life, and knowing a father who right. also was in the midst of his sobriety, um, was very challenging to say to my father, this happened to me and not expect him to fall back and go out and do all these things that could get him incarcerated for life. So um, in in that moment, uh, when my parents finally got to the gas station, I'm petrified, I'm shaking. Uh, The ambulance has lights in my eyes. The police and the detectives are surrounding me. This is the side of sexual assault that is the most traumatic as to why people don't come forward. Because my assault, was horrifically on was horrific on the body 100% but it was so fast and I'm not I'm not degrading it because some people are enduring sexual assault that lasts hours and years and repetitive because they feel trapped and they can't get out but for me my personal experience my assault was more horrific doing the um the uh excuse me the questioning and interrogation and sketch artists and preparing for trial and going over and rehearsing with the detectives over and over, constantly having to repeat my story, knowing it just happened 10 minutes ago. And they're asking me from the moment you woke up this morning, did you see anyone following you? I'm like, no, I just went to work. And the alcohol is still coming and releasing out of my system. So when my dad walked in, um, 
he was furious, screaming at the cops, like, let me hug my daughter. Let me hug my daughter. Like, sir, you cannot touch her. No one can touch her for the next 24 hours because everything on her is evidence. So I went a full 24 hours without a hug from my mom, without a hug from my dad. Um, when my husband pulled up, or fiance at the time, pulled up to the Riverside Police Department, he was blue. He had never experienced trauma in his life of any source. He never had any addictions in his family, any losses, anyone passed away. So this was my husband's very first exposure into um, trauma. And um, my mom immediately tells him like, you can't touch her because the detectives have yelled at us several times. And I kept crying because I was like, I just want a hug. I just want to smell right, right. perfume. Fair, fair, um, fair enough. They're like, not until after her examination, not until after her, um, they do like a, much like what you see in the movies when they check your fingerprints, they do that to your entire body, but naked. And it's very horrific. It's, I can it's only horrific. imagine. And this is all now maybe one hour after my assault. We left the Arco gas station. They tell me I can't leave with my parents. And um, they tell me I have to ride with the cop. So like in a game of have you ever, when people are like, have you ever driven in a cop car? I was like, mm-hmm. So like how? I was like, none of your business, but I have. <laughs> so that's, that's, <laughs> right. That's the backstory uh, back is, yeah, I've been in a cop car, not by choice and not by will, being taken to the damn ER for my rape kit. That's how. And um, my parents had to follow them in my husband's freaking out, packing his stuff, leaving our house in Glendale at the time. And he's just going back because I had no phone. He stole that from me. So I had no, I had nothing to myself, but my husband's denim jacket that I used to borrow all the time and wear. And it just so happened that that night I went out to the concert, I was wearing his denim jacket. So while being naked, all I have covering me over my body is just his denim jacket because I don't know, for some strange reason, I was able to keep that on me in the midst of the assault. Um, so I'm sitting in the cop car and they're at this point, I didn't know that he was a third strike person. Um, you know, I, I mean, this is just such a, it was a maybe two, three minute assault that turned into a 24 hour day of, um, just everything. Like I think people assume that after an assault happens, you I mean, this sounds so shallow to say it this way, but it's just the, it's just the nasty reality of how people mentally break it down. Oh, you were raped. Okay. You pull your pants up and you go about yourself ashamed and just live your life. Sure. That's the surface response. That's the surface response. But in a situation like I was in, not knowing that he was a high profile assailant is what they call it or a rapist. Um, it, it didn't end there. Like I thought that after he did what he did to me and I made it to the gas station safely and now I see my parents, we can just go to sleep and I can show up to work in the morning. And of course I'll deal with the repercussions as they make themselves known in my life. Right. But uh, well, that no. just seems like what happens with a lot of things that, yeah. that I guess are not as highly intense as your, your trauma. But just something small, like, oh, well, yeah, like, I'll just go to work again tomorrow. Like, I'll sleep it off and keep going about my life. But it's just, uh, I guess a lot of people don't think the, I guess, the everlasting emotions that really go through you. Absolutely. So. And man. it's, um again, I never want to say sex. This is not a, this is not a fact. This is not an opinion. I'm just saying a statement that has been said to me that was hard for me to heal from. 
Um, someone once told me, oh, sexual assault isn't the worst trauma you can ever endure, so you should get over it. And that was very hardly said to me by a family member. And um, I struggled. I struggled with having to swallow what they said, but also to allow myself to grieve as I needed to grieve in these different seasons of my life, but also to allow myself to not let it overconsume me. And I want to speak to anyone who is enduring any form of abuse, any form of trauma. Again, this doesn't have to just be sexual. We, t as humans, we tend to um, discredit our journey by getting back to normalcy. And normalcy is going back to work. Normalcy is getting up and showing up as dad, as brother, as husband, as wife, as daughter. That's normalcy because we have more years and more understanding playing that role than having to play the role of someone who needs healing. So it's easy to strive to go back to normalcy after a traumatic event. Um, it's not healthy, but it takes one to heal through what they feel to learn how to adequately heal through those emotions. It took me to get into therapy to understand that for a month and a half of me trying to reconcile and deny and barter and wager with my life and trying to understand, did I ask for it? Was it my fault because I took that extra shot before I left the concert? Was it because I wore that dress? Asking myself for a month straight and contemplating if I should have killed myself, like, oh, that I, I deserved it. It was what was living in my mind for the whole month after it happened. Because I spent, it happened on December 29th. I was very fortunate that the justice system worked in my favor, which doesn't work in everybody's. That is 100% fact. But for myself, um, I went to court November 23rd, 2017. That was one month after I said I do. I never really got to enjoy being a bride, being a wife, all that nonsense, because I spent a little under a year going to the detectives every month, having to do my testing again, having to prepare for court, having to go over my story numbers and numbers of times. So when people hear me recite my story and they say like, wow, you say it with so much delivery and cadence and, and like you're so well hearsed when you say it. Yeah, because I've said it over 360 times. Like, right. I've said my story that night alone in less than 24 hours of when it happened, well over 40 times. And then the next day when they called me in to come in again because they wanted to double cross-reference the things that I said, I had to start all over again. So it's never the hard part of having to repeat it. It's the hard part of those moments that hit your heart, like when my dad picked up the phone. That's what gets me emotional. The look on my mother's face when she ran through the gas station. The look on the clerk's face. These are those traumatic uh, snapshots that I would see at night that would give me night terrors or laying on the bed and having someone examine your vaginal area for evidence. That is a traumatic snapshot. Uh, having constant tremoring because I was in so much PTSD. That is a traumatic snapshot. Um, my husband's face when he first showed up to the police station blue as a ghost. That is a dramatic snapshot. The physical sexual side of it that was unwelcome was so quick and, and fast that the only thing that my, as humans, that we're so complex, um, any form of trauma, your body will always heal. You can have an abusive parent that always hits on you or an abusive partner that hits on you. And the bruises heal. I, I don't know if anyone has ever said stuff like, oh, I'd rather be hit than yelled at because the words hurt. Uh, you know, bruises heal. Yeah, physical things on the body start to heal over time. But what 
the memory of the emotional impact that it gave you, that's what strikes you harder. And that's what lives in your memory. So going to therapy was the only way I can be able to make peace with those images and not see them for the darkness that they were, but see them as the silver lining in the journey. And um, I've been in therapy for three years. I've started off with just talk therapy to another professional, a sexual assault advocate and counselor. And she had her own story so that she knew right off the bat what mental spaces I was at when I was very much in denial with her. She was like, I know what stage you're at, girl. I know where you're coming from. And I was like, you don't know, blah, blah, blah. But uh, after three years, she disclosed to me like, I am a survivor. I was like, I knew it. I knew it. Um, And I went to three years through talk therapy, gradually started working up to doing NET therapy, which is a neurotherapy that has to do with the nerves in your um your veins and your lines that has trapped trauma. That is a trip. If you've never done it, I encourage you to try any teeth. That sounds interesting for sure. And um, exposure therapy Um, in native American cultures and holistic cultures, there's this thing called sustos and sustos is making amends by going back to the thing that first haunts you because that's where the root begins and making peace with it. Um, So eventually I went back to the gas station, asked to speak with the clerk. He no longer worked there, but It was a very traumatic experience. I drove the same freeway. I got off on the freeway. I walked it by myself. My husband wasn't with me. Just something impulsed me one day after therapy to be brave and do it. Because I didn't want Riverside to scare me anymore. I I didn't want – the city wasn't bad. The person who did it was bad. And I had to disassociate that the city was not at fault. Um, The freeway, the car, like none of that was at fault. What I wore wasn't at fault. So it took me almost two years to start wearing dresses again, um, being able to feel sexy for my partner, being able to feel sexy for myself um, and doing that exposure therapy, like putting on makeup was a form of exposure therapy because I thought wearing makeup would make someone look at me and whistle at me. And I don't want that. I don't want them to hurt me like he hurt me. So I kind of went through that whole Tyler Perry uh, movie, Four Colored Girls, where you just wear like one solid color all every day. You pull back your hair. You don't wear makeup. Anything you can do to try to get back to your purity. Um, It was very hard for me because I just felt so ashamed. I felt so dirty. Um, And what's you know, the wild thing about it is none of that was ever asked. None of that was ever, um, it was like, I shouldn't have had to say I felt dirty. I shouldn't have had to feel I had to go through a stage of all wearing all white and being clean face to feel beautiful again. Right. And that's where it comes down to dismantling rape culture. Because we assume based off of someone's uh, sexual partners or based off of their sexual experiences that that makes them less of a person. So they're not pure. And that is a precursor of rape culture. Rape culture is heavily encouraged, excuse me, not encouraged, but it's heavily induced because of lack of education and lack of understanding and lack of prevention. Um, Just because a female wears a skirt, whether she's wearing it to work, to school, to a rave, or to... I don't know, Easter Sunday service with her family. That's not an invitation. And what's sad is we're trying to dismantle something that's 2000 years old. Um, But the more we bring our voices to it, the more we raise our voices to it, the more we have these quote unquote, air quote, taboo conversations at the dinner tables, the more we can begin to break down these generational curses and these fixed mindsets that, oh, it's because of what she wore. Because most of the time that's language that's passed down from someone in the family that has some type of backstory of racism, homophobia, or some really awful 
vision on something. So when they right. say these words out loud amongst the kids, we turn into teenagers. And just because we don't know any better, we repeat it. We repeat it not knowing. And then when we get to a space, a space of when we're in our 20s, in our 30s, and we're starting to become woke and understanding who we are as individuals, we start to actually question that. And um, people question their faith harder than they question their actions. And the reality mm. is we need to question our actions and our language before we even question our faith. Because what, what defines your, your circumstances shape your character. I've gone through a shit ton of circumstances in the past 10 years. I'm sure y'all have gone through a shit, shit ton of circumstances in your past 10 years, but it shapes your character and people are witnessing us by character. And when they meet you, that's their first introduction is to study your character, kind of get to know this personality. And then they make up like, that's a cool person. I want to kick it with him. But when you break that down, how much of that character is who you are now versus what you've embedded because of what you've been exposed to. And um, therapy started breaking everything down for me. It started off healing the melting ice cream cone, which was to the assault. Um, and then after we stopped talking about the assault, cause I was tired of talking about it. I was just so tired of it. I was like, look, I did the exposure therapy thing. I did the NET thing. I tried smoking weed. I got an antidepressant. Can, when can I get over this? Like when, when do I stop? feeling like a rape victim and the truth is it's a mentality you can always see yourself as a victim of abuse as a victim of drug addicted family or you could always keep that narrative in your mind or you can start switching to the narrative to like i'm a survivor i'm a thriver i'm not a victim i'm a victor and start shifting that into going how can i change that narrative and the only thing that i knew for myself to change that narrative was to get educated so from there, I was like, I'm going to start reading books on consent. I'm going to start reading books on understanding trauma and how to, how to be able to share trauma-informed care with other people. And um, once I started getting into that, it pushed away a lot of friends because now I became this like spiritual activist that was too heavy to have in the room. Um, it sucked. I lost a lot of friends through that. Um, and then I started getting into like understanding human rights. And then I started learning about human trafficking. And then I interned for seven months learning about human trafficking and the, the, the proximities of how close sexual abuse, violence, trauma, and trafficking and unethical work labors all aligned into one. It all comes down to there is wickedness in the world. And there are wicked people who walk and operate in that mindset. And they use these, these different parallels to bring it all to one and I was just like no like I'm one person I can't change the world but what I can do is I could change my household and if that just means just me and my husband then so be it so I just kept on learning and educating myself and then I eventually started working for the agency and then working at the agency taught me so much it was like one year at the agency gave me like six years of doctorate knowledge and I was just blown away and then I went from not only being the survivor, being the one who had to endure all of it, to now being the counselor and the advocate and the activist to march and rally for these survivors. And as empowering as that was, it also was very triggering too, because it's kind of, kind of like you're always reliving the same thing over and over. Um, but it's just been such a journey. Um, my husband has changed inside and out. My dad who was like the biggest machismo cholo you could imagine um has completely transformed before my very eyes it took me to go to therapy for 
my dad of 50 to start breaking down all of his toxic masculinity and all of his own language that he had used in the past that really did align with rape culture. And I started telling him like, that this is my boundary and I don't stand for this. Like if I have a female daughter one day and you're her grandpa, these are things you will not say in front of her because this is not something that she needs to grow accustomed to hearing. Right. Um, and then, you know, it caused a little bit of tension with my dad at first, but nope, he started breaking down his demons. And, you know, a lot of his responses in his later years in life were from things that he was exposed to in his younger years of life. And um, my mom started changing her entire lifestyle. It's literally like it took the assault for me to get into therapy, for that therapy to break down general generational curses in my own marriage and in my own family. It was like this unseen, unprecedented domino effect, just one after another. Um, heavy. I would not deny how heavy it's been, but so rewarding, so so rewarding in that aspect. Um, I know that there are individuals who cannot come forward because it might be someone in their own household or still in their immediate family. I feel for those individuals. I feel for them. And I don't specify women because it's not always women. It's men and it's children. Um, or it's someone that represents of the LGBTQ community who considers themselves as non-gender related or, or non-binary. Um, it's sad that every 72 seconds someone's being sexually assaulted. And even right now in COVID, the statistics have gone higher because some of these people are in their homes, staying home, mm. perpetrators and abusers. And um, it's so unfortunate, but it takes these really heavy, murky, uncomfortable conversations so that way men can become allies. Uh, my husband saw things way differently. And then once he realized his wife, had to endure what she endured. And when I became educated, I would come home and be like, here's what I learned today in therapy, or here's what I learned at support group. In the beginning, my husband didn't really like it because, you know, he was set to his ways. Um, but over time, my husband is like a strong, opinionated, very mindful, powerful feminist. And he knows it. And he and he's so kind. He works in the, um, the music industry. And he does a lot of music video sets with really high profile rappers. And um, the things he sees on set break his heart. They break his heart. And he comes home and sometimes he's like, I don't want to go and film another music video because I see these just turned 18 year old girls throwing themselves at these rappers and they're for it because it's being thrown at them. Right. And he goes, it hurts my heart because I'm the director. And he goes, so sometimes I'll make up an excuse and be like, oh, we don't need to use you today. I send the girl home, but it's because I don't want her to get caught up in something. He's like, I can't be like Captain Save a Girl. You know, I can't save every single female on set. He's like, but what I can do is be mindful and know that my voice and my knowledge can actually save and possibly educate someone in this room by dismantling this behavior. And I praise him for that because it's not commonly seen. No offense to you gentlemen, but it's just, it's not. Um, and I think that with the era of Me Too, which abrupted in 2017, which wasn't new, Tarana Burke is an African-American activist for sexual assault survivors. She had been doing Me Too since back in the 80s. It just happened to get its limelight in 2017 because a Caucasian American actress, Alyssa Milano, brought it to the front. And um, that brought Alyssa to the front lines when all along it was an African-American activist by the name of Tarana, who is a survivor herself, that was spearheading this entire movement. So gra gradually people caught on that it was Tarana from the jump, and now Tarana has her, her place in this, in this fight. And um, 
You know, I think that it has been so rewarding that the Me Too movement resurfaced in 2017 because forgive me for being forward, but we do have a racist in the, in the white house. We do. We have a racist and a racist. Speak it. (laughs) We have a racist and we have a rapist and we have someone who's homophobic (laughs) in the white house. And, um, at least the America that I know or like to dream and believe in, we don't identify with what he identifies with. And, um, I can only speak for myself and my household in my, myself and my household with my immediate family, Trump does not identify or at least come even close to what any of us have ever endured, experienced, or stand for. And having the Me Too movement come out in the time of his election was the most precedent and most powerful thing to do because that is what began the, the, the I guess you call it like the leaning tower coming down of all of these political um, people. I won't say what I was about to say next, but um, all of these folks to get reprimanded for their, their bad, hate, bad behavior. And, um, you know, sure after that, the Harvey Weinstein stories came out and the Time's Up movement began and the Silence Breakers began and no more.com came about. And, um, you know, there's the NSVRC, the National Sexual Violence Resource Center that came about, all of these things that existed but never had any limelight on the forefront because they were like hidden, closeted nonprofits. Like it's almost like when someone gets diagnosed with an STD, you don't see that plasterized on the front end of your your computers or your screens or anything like that because you feel closeted about that. You feel shameful about that. It's not your shame to carry. Go and get the help that you deserve. What's sad is society makes it shameful. And all of these um, nonprofit organizations that existed were all in behind the curtain, behind the curtain. And when Me Too movement came out and the president that we have in the house, all of his shit came out because it is a bunch of effed up shit. Now these nonprofits were at the front lines. They're the ones doing the rallies. They're the ones doing the marches. They're the ones showing up for the political campaigns. People like myself are showing up to vote because we understand how all of this comes full circle. And until we can actually exercise our voice, we can't exercise it to vote. You need to exercise your voice first in order to be able to understand what voting even is to begin with. Like all of this is a very activist driven conversation and I apologize if it feels biased but it's like it took me to go through what I went through to become woke to everything around me right. and to find what I stand for and to find I need to say sorry to it don't fucking need to say sorry to it yeah no you're Speak you're your truth you're, you're yeah, exactly you're speaking your truth speak your truth yeah <laughs> I'm like I, that's just that's where I'm at and um I'm so proud of my dad and my husband um my dad when you see him, and Oscar's seen him before, knows what he looks like. My dad looks like a hardcore cholo, and I find joy and positivity and, and inspiration when my dad can represent a culture or a line of people who look like him, and he can say, I'll stand front row center with a sign that says me too, because I had to endure the recovery with my daughter. I had to right. witness that. I will be the first to say and come out and say that we need to have talk- topics about sexual, cons- uh, excuse me, sexual assault awareness at the dinner tables. He's like, I'll be the first to come forward as a Latino, as a Chicano that's tatted down, like come from Compton and live this really <laughs> crazy life. I'll be the first to come forward because until you see it, you will never understand. Until you experience it, you will never understand. So my dad's like, I can't speak the pain my daughter went through, but I can speak the pain that I went through as right. a father. 
and understanding that my own words led up to this type of rape culture that she had to endure to learn how to heal. He goes, so I'm 50 and I'm changing my life around. If I have another 10 on me or another 20 years on me, at least I know now I'm working in my space to be an activist for Chicanos in, in conversation. It's not like right, he walks right, around. Right. Um, and same with my husband. He's like, you know, I'm not as outspoken like my wife is. I'm not public about it as my wife is. But when I see things on TV about people doubting women, I'm the first to get on Facebook. I'm the first to get on Twitter and say statistics prove X, Y, and Z. And as a male, we need to use our voice to be allies to them because I hate to say this, but the women's uh, suffrage movement began in the 1800s. It is 2020 and we're still fucking fighting for the same shit as we asked for in the 1800s. Equal rights, equal pay, to be created as equal. And the same argument goes for those of color. For all of us who are people of color, we're fighting the same shit we fought back 20 years ago. Asking for equality, asking to be treated like equals. It's sad that it takes a, it takes an army. It takes a movement for us to see political change. And we have to do it together. And, and for women... I have no, I have noticed, unfortunately, I have noticed, this is not a fact, this is just what I've observed. I have noticed that when we have men rally on our side, acts happen, movements pass, um, bills get passed when we have men jump on board with us because for some really shitty reason, people still value the voice of a man over a voice of a woman. And it's just, it is what it is. But I believe I'm 27, whether I have kids in this lifetime or who knows if maybe if my husband has children with someone else even after me, I can at least say confidently that I am a, I'm doing my best to do my part to get a female voice in the presidency, to get a female voice representing the Senate, to get a female voice to represent all of this because we do feel things with a different type of empathy and we do uh, calculate things and understand things with a different type of compassion and that is a very strong character trait that women develop at the age of nine. Um, men have it as well, but they develop it late, later on in their life. That actually is a scientific fact. Um, but <laughs> and that's not, not to sound like a butthole to be like insulting, but we as women, we're so strong, we're so intelligent and we're so well hearsed and just out, outright. Like I, I learned that it's okay to have righteous anger. It's not okay to just have anger. And uh, my righteous anger deep down is the fact that here we are still fighting for the things that should be rightfully given. And I say that with confidence because I also see it with my people of color, with Latinos. You shouldn't still have to be fighting for your papers. After all these years, you shouldn't still have to be seen as an immigrant. Like you deserve to be a part of this country. You've been working for freaking 40 plus years in this country. You ain't no immigrant, you are an American citizen. Same for our people of color who identify in the African-American community. You shouldn't have to still be proving yourself to anybody because the fucking, excuse my language, the police is corrupt or the way that being led is corrupt. Like until we exercise our voices and, and say it loud and say it proud and say it with strength and say it with courage and say it unapologetically, that's how we can make movements. Because in democracy, the larger we are, the faster we can overturn. But we are in a space where we are on a lockdown right now. So like all my political righteous anger is coming out, but it's like, we're in a lockdown. How much can I do? Doing this podcast is something I can do. Like yeah. being able to get on the podcast and represent a woman of color, represent a woman who's open about her mental health journey, represent a woman who's a survivor, represent a woman who comes from family members who weren't supposed to make it past the age of 20. Um, 
being with someone who is was very fixed in their mindset and then them being exposed to trauma that shifted it like yeah i can't be outside marching with a, a stick and rallying and everything but hey i can be on a podcast speaking my truth and that can right. get circulated some way somehow um mm -hmm. there's so much ways that we can raise our voices however we identify in whatever political class or whatever gender um even in any political party that you choose to stand by we have so much ability to share um and to share rightfully because it's it's our voices to own but be be educated in what you represent and what you stand behind because that could always be a pain in the butt if you don't know what you're talking right. about <laughs> um, that's one of the things that you know b and i talked about when we approached you with uh the idea of coming onto the show is uh we wanted not only to educate ourselves into like i said the things that you're doing but also hopefully give the same thing to others that are um in our in our listenership circle and, and above mm -hmm. that and, and hopefully people can go ahead and uh and share this message that you've been given to us. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's unfortunate that we don't, we don't take things seriously until it happens close to us. Exactly. You know, like I've, exactly. I've, I've known you, like you said, for 11 years and it hit home to me, like really reading what you were posting online and really being active to it. Cause it's like, I know you, I know who you are, you mm -hmm. know, um, leading into that. I, you know, I meant to kind of go ahead and ask you that, um, do you kind of being with uh, or, you know, knowing me, uh, knowing each other, how much of, of a strong faith woman you are when we first met, you know, was that something that changed over time? Like during the, this time that happening, like, did you lean on, on towards God or, or where did it go? Just because I, I like I said, I like education in this at overall. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if, if people also kind of use this, this thing that happened to them as an excuse to blame God for things and, and kind of step away from that. Cause you know, Lexi, it was my pastor's wife, you know, uh, she had a miscarriage uh, when, when they had their kid. And uh, a lot of people were kind of trying to put that in their head. Like, why are you blaming God? Or no, you should blame God. You know, if he's, if he's there, if he, why would he let that happen to you? You're such a good person. Yeah. And I just want to know, like, is that something that went through your head or you just stuck like firmly to your faith? Well, how I can respond to that is twofold. Um, I grew up very religious and I have a great understanding on how the supernatural power of God works. And um, I grew up Pentecostal, so I understand and really believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, you and I, Oscar, we have a history of going church to going to church together and um, seeing signs and wonders and speaking in tongues. So I can respond with a very religious led answer, but I could also respond with a very this is real shit answer. Right. And I'm going to give both because this is, I can't speak on this question without just owning who I am. Um, and who I am is I am someone who comes from a religious background who has now fully engulfed herself in a spiritual realm and a spiritual sense of understanding. Um, I shared with Oscar before we got on this call that I am very um, grounded in my spirituality by understanding that I myself see the Holy Spirit and see God's goodness in nature and in humans through kind interaction. The God that I know and the God that I serve is a compassionate, 
humble, wholesome, full of empathy, loving person. Um, I don't see God as a male. I don't see God as a female. I don't, I don't know because I have yet to meet God, but what I can say is I have felt God and, um, I don't see God as one specific gender or I don't see them as one specific race or background. The God that I have been exposed to um, is power and love. And in that season of my life, the easiest thing to do was to blame God. It's so easy. It's so easy to blame someone you can't see. It's so easy. You can point blame at someone that ain't in the room. Sure, Um, sure. But I also know that there's wickedness in the world and we have been given life to its fullest and we have all been given the power of freedom of speech and choice. Therefore I can be a nice hippie loving spiritual girl on this call. And tomorrow I can be this wicked, mean, crazy person um, because it's a choice. It's a choice to choose what you do. Um, I was not angry with God. I was angry with myself And I was able to throw the anger at myself because of all of this victim blaming that exists in the world. So I never necessarily was angry with God. If anything, I asked, I asked God and couldn't get like a response, you know, but my spirit felt like it was met. And um, I asked God, like, why would something so horrific happen to me in a season of my life where I was supposed to like, win come up like get married right renew our lease in glendale um you know uh my dream job i had my dream job like my career was finally excelling i was finally for the first time in my life financially stable so these are questions i brought to god um the frustration grew from not having an answer but the reality is we can't seek out something we have yet to find gratitude in if you don't understand the gratitude or the gratefulness in sometimes very horrific incidences, you will never find the answer because the answer comes from inner peace. You have to make peace with what has gone on with you. If you don't make peace with it, everyone and everything around you is a reason to be angry because you have yet to make peace with it yourself. It's a place of forgiveness. And the number one person that really in my eyes represents that is the higher power of God is finding that peace. If you don't have peace with yourself, everyone is a suspect. Everyone is up for grabs. Everyone is someone you can throw hot stones at and blame them for your pain. You got to go inward first. So I never had anger towards God. I had the anger towards myself, which thus led to me going back to my childhood, doing that NET therapy where um, we were able to channel my first traumatic season in my life was when I was eight. And um, from there, I had to revisit my eight-year-old self, make peace with my eight-year-old self, my 12-year-old self, my 15-year-old self my 19 year old self all the way up to the moment of the assault all the way up to who I am today. And I still make those conscious moments to say, Hey, little Des, this is what we're working with today. This is what triggered us today. But I made peace with that child. And I understand that that inner child of myself was put in situations she should have never been in was exposed to things she should have never been exposed to. That wasn't a God thing. Like, Oh, I'm gonna put her through pain. I'm gonna put her through pain. God never did that. People do that. That is not a God thing. People do that. Um, And so I encourage folks to kind of dig deep with where your character is in your life. Um, Faith is things that we can't see, but we can feel. And it's like when you walk into the room and you know that person to the corner has got some icky vibes. You're like, I ain't going to fuck with that person. (laughs) That person got some aura issues going on. I'm going to kick it right here. You can feel energy. 
You can feel that. You can feel when things are tense. You can feel when something ain't right. Um, respond to that because that's also the power of the spirit. The spirit responds the same way because in Christian belief, um, they say the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when he passed over, his Holy Spirit was then put into us. I do believe that. I do believe that there was a spirit of the higher power living within me, which is why you're able to be cognitive of when something don't feel right. It's the inner spirit saying, get the hell out of here. It's nothing ain't right. Um, and I think it's important to respond to that. If you recognize that, and if you don't believe in God, if you believe in the universe, if you believe in Buddha, if you believe in Allah, um, shoot, maybe you might believe in a, a statue. If you have that as a part of your religious faith, that energy and aura is real, then that just serves what I'm standing on right now is that you have to understand that these God figures are not to blame. It's the energy of those that are within the circle. So if it feels right. off, back away. I hope that explained the question. <laughs> no, I'm like you said, you gave it to me <laughs> both ways, really. Yeah. And that that's fine, you know, because having to rely on just the one response and just your, your faith alone, I feel like sometimes it's not enough for people because sometimes things that happen to people, they're not necessarily in that, that situation where they have that type of faith. You know, they just start questioning things, maybe things that they've actually done within their life. Like how you started thinking like, did I ask for it? What could I have done differently? Um, so some people don't have like that, that fallback love that people who are into, you know, religion or who do have faith in God, that they, they have that, um, that hug that they really don't get, but they feel. And if you, um, for sure, for sure. And if you don't have it, like I, at the time this happened to me, I was heavily involved in church. Um, I, I was working part-time at a church shortly after this happened to make some money to get by. Um, I had a air quote church family and um, I am an only child and uh, not by choice. My mom just had a lot of miscarriages. So bless her heart for trying, but I, I was like, yo, I'm in, I'm in the deep end of, excuse my language, but a bitch is drowning and I need help and I need support. Mm -hmm. So my church family stepped in, but sometimes you don't even have that. Your own right. family don't want to deal with it. They don't want to talk about it. It's taboo. It's, it's hidden secrets in the skeleton closet stuff that they don't want to bring to the table. Sometimes you really truly are alone. And I hope that this doesn't scare you, but encourages you. Support group will give you the community you are seeking. I started joining support group and I met other women and men and people that are non-binary that had similar cases that I did. And I for once felt that I was in a room where I wasn't the black sheep. I wasn't the weirded outcasted cousin. I wasn't the little victim in the room. I felt for the first time in a very long time in my healing journey that when I joined support group, this is why they exist for those who don't have that community beyond their home, beyond their church. Support groups are there for this exact reason. And they're not funded by the state. They are funded by people like me who just volunteer their time to host every Thursday night in this building. Hey, I'm holding a support group for survivors. If you guys just want to come through, no pressure. Um, just know that you're welcome here. Like support groups are not funded by states. Those are funded by volunteers. And I think people don't know that. Uh, even for people with HIV, those are, again, support groups that are funded by people who are probably survivors themselves. And they're hosting it because they need a sense of community as well. That's interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that they, they weren't funded. I mm -hmm. figured it'd be like a city to city type of thing. 
you can get them funded if you have a board member or a supervisor from the specific organization leading it. But even then, most of them are working 60 plus hours a week. They don't want to donate two hours every evening of the night to a support right. group. So they rely heavily on their interns or their volunteers to host those. So like I said, I've known you for a long time and you've always been a friendly person. And I think anybody that has ever interacted with you, you know, sees that. So knowing how easily you've, you've made friends in the past, has that been something that you are no longer taking a part into? Hey guys, you guys ever cut yourselves or hurt yourselves while trimming your balls? I know I have, and I've bled a lot too. But that's why the Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team has spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released a new and improved lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Millions of balls are about to be nick free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded their 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology and let's not forget about the charging stand show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a rapid charging dog powered by usb if you're listening to me right now i want you to experience it firsthand for yourself so trim that junk of yours get 20 percent off plus free shipping with code lockroom at manscape.com your balls will thank you and again, it's 20% off plus free shipping with code LockRoom at Manscaped.com. Guys, I don't think you're hearing me. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com. Just use promo code at LockRoom at checkout. Um, so let me let me kind of just ask that again so we kind of don't skip a beat. Um, so knowing you for a very long time, you know, you, you were the type of person that anybody you meet automatically became your friend right. because it was just the type of person you are. Um, does that, or has that affected you now? Like what happened to you in, you know, being able to establish relationships so easily? Yes. Uh, a strong yes. Capital Y. Yes. Because, um, after you endure traumatic seasons in your life, you then start to develop what is your sense of boundaries. So therapy mm. really helped me assert and establish my boundaries. Um, in my head, I had the boundaries, but I wasn't <laughs> asserting them out loud. So I was still kind of being um, tossed around with my feelings and where I stood in certain friendships. So yes, um, this situation in my life, and I'm just going to always refer to as a traumatic situation, because again, this is for, I, I want anyone to be able to relate to this, any male out there, I'm sure they could think off the top of their head, oh, this was traumatic as hell for me when this happened to me. So um, removing the context of sexual abuse, let's talk about trauma, because that's really what it is. Uh, during this traumatic event in my life, yes, after I came through um, the understanding of how it affected me in all of my being, and also understanding how therapy played a heavy role in me understanding and asserting those boundaries that did shift. Um, I have a boundary where um, I don't like to be in environments where there's a lot of noise and a lot of drinking. Um, again, it's for a personal reason. Uh, I don't mind getting together with groups of friends, guys or girls, but in the very beginning, I couldn't hang out with my guy friends, friends that I had known for years. And not that I felt that they would attack me. I just felt that I would be awkward around them. Okay. Um, so I started asserting the boundary with uh, only particular guy friends I'll choose to be around. 
And it's taken three years for me to actually go out and go to a bar with a friend. And I'm sure you remember Samuel Mickles. He was in theater too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Sam is like my brother. And when all this went down, him and I didn't talk for the first two years because he, as someone who was like a blood brother to me, um, he struggled. He was like, I didn't even know how to talk to you without wanting to break down and like cry and be outraged of anger for you. He's like, so I would hit up Ricardo, which is my husband, and kind of see how y'all doing. I'm like, you could have hit me up. He's like, but I was so nervous. As your male friend, I didn't know where I stood in our friendship to come in and be like, yo, sis, like, how you healing? How you doing? He's like, because even if you responded, I wouldn't have had the words to reply. I right. would have outraged with anger. Um, so I can it, relate to that mm-hmm. because B and I, like I told you, we've been back and forth on how to approach this to you. Um, like I said, we definitely want to want to help spread awareness, but we didn't know how to talk to you about it where it seems like we're being insensitive to your situation. For sure. For sure. That's I, know from my, I know from my perspective, I didn't want to push the envelope of you exploring your your situation and what you went through mm-hmm. like pushing it like I, I was hoping like you did today that you just let it you know, kind of flow out and express it the way you wanted to express it so I'm I'm happy and I'm you know thankful that you know you're able to you know, do that for yourself so yeah well thank you yeah. I feel that it's super That's- inspirational you guys have a very valid response, the both of you, because uh, your same response is exactly what my bro did with me, Sam. Yeah. Uh, and and it's same for my husband. Um, when it came down to us being intimate again, he was like, well, "Where do we begin?" Because clearly, oh, yeah. old old ways yeah. out, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, asserting boundaries definitely. Uh, my relationship with friendships, my relationship with my own family, and my my relationship in my own marriage boundaries uh became a very pivotal thing for me and uh the one thing that i i am very grateful for is that my immediate family my parents my husband and the small circle of friends that i do have now all understand and respect my boundaries and i never have to explain myself um with former friends that were my homies for 20 i mean not even 20 maybe about 13 years they're like why don't you come to the bars with us like you don't want to come kick it with us or like you don't want to go here like we went to Vegas and you wore like a grandma dress. You should have wore something more revealing. I'm like, yo, I got my reasons. Right. Um, I would, I love to be in your company, but if your company includes wilding out and acting buck wild and doing X, Y, and Z, that's not who I am anymore. It's just also yeah. a level of maturity and kind of finding what works for you. Like I don't drink any alcohol. If I do drink, it's a glass of wine and you will never catch me drinking beyond my home. Um, because I like to be, this is also a form, this is also a result of my PTSD. Um, I don't like to have anything in my system in the event that something were to pop off in the place that I'm at. I want to be fully conscious to know how to get away. So that is my personal reason. Um, I might drink a glass of wine at my mom's, but um, I'm observant to where I'm at and who I'm around. And that's how I make uh, and assert my boundaries. It's just, that's that's what it is. I guess to follow up on that, you know, kind of what you're talking, you're talking about, um, you know, you like to be conscious and stuff of what's going on in case something does pop off. Um, One of the questions we had for you was, um, do you recommend protection for women uh, when they are by themselves, like for instance, a taser, paper, uh, pepper spray, a weapon, a knife, a gun, or just basically, and even maybe like uh, like self defense class, something. Exactly, that, I was gonna go there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, is that something you recommend? Or actually, how do you feel about that? Like that's, I think that's mainly the question: is 
Where do you stand on that? Yeah. I love that you caught yourself, Oscar, um, because I think prior to my breakdown of my story, and hopefully that also provides context for listeners as well, women shouldn't have to protect themselves, period. The, I, even the notion of them having to protect themselves is, a, is affirming rape culture exists. Women should not have to walk around with guns, knives, tasers, a bat under their seat. You shouldn't have to, because if we lived in a world where rape culture didn't exist, that wouldn't even be a question. But because rape culture does exist, and forgive me for sounding forward for either Oscar or B, who wrote the question, you wrote the question with the mentality that you didn't have before this call. And now that you have this call, you're- That was me. Yeah, that was me. Okay. But that- reality clicked in right away for you for sure no and i i 100 agree and more mm. of that question was to to hear your thoughts about it but i did for the awareness part of it like wh- what are your thoughts about it like should they have it should they not you know but i i 100 agree with you 100 agree with you you can have it like the day of my assault i had um a taser and um um, pepper, pepper spray. spray. Pepper spray. I, had, yeah. I had a taser and pepper spray. On excuse me, I have a hiccup. Um, I had pepper spray on my car keys, and I had a taser in my um, little side panel of my car. Did I have time to get to it? No, not at all. Um, have I done self defense classes? Yeah, I did them when I was twenty in college, and they're good. And I was like, these will work. Come twenty four, and you're being raped on the side of the freeway. Could you do, use any of those? No. Yeah. When you are overpowered and caught, um, when you're when you're overpowered by someone and um, you're terrified, all of those mechanisms don't fully come into effect. So the sad part is, um, sure, you can have them, ladies and gentlemen and kids alike, you can have those, but it's more important to be observant around what's around you instead of having to carry an item with you. If you're observant to what's around you and you're listening and you're feeling that energy and that aura that's telling you to walk away or not walk into that room, respond to that because that's going to save your life much more effectively than having to walk into the room knowing you have these like bad jujus all over you and you're like, okay, I'm here. I know I got pepper spray on my car key so I can pull out my pepper spray any minute something goes down. Even if something were to go down, it's not that much high likely of a chance as it would be if you just respond to your intuition. Hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. I definitely like um, that answer. My my only thing uh with asking more on the self-defense thing uh for the classes was uh so B and I we we do jujitsu, but we haven't been in a while obviously with the whole quarantine stuff. Uh but prior to that we were off a little bit months just due to my injuries. But um just being in those classes have kind of put us uh at least from the beginning when we first started, like the adrenaline of having to spar with people to like then moving forward into a more still the same dangerous situation. It's just more calmly mentally um, that has put us through that to where, you know, at least for me, I've walked out out of my house more confidently, not necessarily looking for problems, but if it were to happen, I can act fine. Like Mm -hmm. it's not going to catch me by surprise. And I know that self-defense goes so far. I mean, if there's a weapon drawn. What else are you going to do? I understand that. I, yeah. I think for me, it was just more like putting you in a situation where the adrenaline kicks in. And instead of letting that take over you, be more You're calm. Yeah, be more calm and really help yourself analyze a situation. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, to me, that was just something that has been helpful for me. 
mm-hmm. with the whole jujitsu as far as my mentality goes. There's truth. There's truth to that. Um, if you're in a situation that's very uh, burdensome, um, whether it's by attack or by hearing some awful news through the phone, if you approach something with a much more calmer spirit, you are more like you are more likely, so scientifically proven, to have a more uh, reasonable response, whether it be through your words or through your physical actions. Unfortunately, most of the time when assaults take place or something traumatic takes place in a home with somebody, they are abrupt and not accounted for. So when they happen, your immediate response, it has to do with like your brain, like your hippocampus and your serotonin, the way your body works, your frontal lobe, like all this sciencey stuff that I learned, but I can't remember verbatim how to repeat it to you. But um, when you're in these fight, fight, Please freeze mode situations, your body responds to trauma within the only way it knows how. So sometimes even though you can have all this confidence, which is bomb, if you have that strength and that confidence, great, but it's, you can't prepare for it when it's unprecedented, when it's unapproachable, when it's just happening right then and there. Right. You talked about consent. I feel like you're very passionate about it. And I had one question on there as well Mm -hmm. about Man or people in general just feeling as if, you know, what you are wearing, you had it coming. You talked about it a little bit, but I would like to hear a little bit more from me if you wouldn't mind. Because yeah. I know, I know, you, yeah. Absolutely. I, yeah. I, I encourage you both to ask any questions because you're also actually liberating a lot of men by asking these questions. Sure. These, are that, these are things that they're thinking about. Um, in my second podcast episode on Becoming Ramirez, my buddy, he's a comedian, his name's Derek, we went to college together. Um, he brought up the same question and my husband even had a struggle with this too. So this is common. This is a common thing. Okay. doesn't make it okay, but it's common. No, yeah, yeah, um, for sure. And that's why I don't agree with it, but I would like to change the narrative, which is why I want you to. Yeah. So the, speak, most, speak wa- the most watered down way of educating gentlemen, if anyone's listening, mm-hmm. what consent is, is manners <laughs> in the most watered down way. Your mama raised you a manners, right? You know what yes and no is, right? Yes, I know. Know what's good and bad, right? Yep. Okay. If you're questioning it, listeners, if you're questioning that, y'all need to go get some therapy. No offense. But <laughs> if, if that's the watered down version of consent. If you're in a room, now this is a hypothetical story. Um, it's not true. I'm just using it for context purposes because I understand that some gentlemen do encounter this. And as a female, I want to speak peace onto this. I understand that in the heat of the moment, you're ready to get down, whether you've got some handy in your system or you just feel in the vibe and you guys are ready to explore one another. You can start making out and start um, being uh, sensual. I'll use that word, being sensual with one another. Right before any penetration takes place, you should still ask, is this okay with you? What would you like to do? And for women or men or anyone who's in same-sex relationships that's listening to this, in your head, if you're saying, I'm not ready, you need to repeat that out loud because they cannot read your mind. And men can't read your mind. Women can't read your mind. Shoot, a dog won't even be able to read it. So if in that moment. tell that to my wife. And this, <laughs> she thinks that I can always read her mind and I can't. And when I was a female, when I first started being intimate with my husband again, um, he would, you know, he's a man. He had been with me for seven years at the point this happened. I had done everything under the sun with my husband. So when we started being sensual and sexy again, um, he was like, where do we begin? Do we start all the way from when we were younger or do we start where we left off? And I'm like, truth be told, I ain't down for nothing. 
And he's like, what? Baby, like you're my wife. And I'm like, just because I'm your wife don't mean I have to. Don't mean I have to. Just because we're married doesn't mean I owe you anything. And uh, my husband, who grew up first generation Latino, was like, the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) I had to educate him on what consent means. And doing it the whole grammatically correct way went through his ear. But when I said, babe, it's about manners. It's about manners. It clicked. And I was like, if you come up to me from behind and I say, please don't do that. That actually scares me. I'm not comfortable with it. You're like, okay, okay. But if you come up behind me and I'm like, don't effing do that. Like, you know, I don't like that. I'm abrasing it with anger. That's not going to reach through a man's ear. You have to, <sighs> you have to approach it by meeting them at their love language. If your partner's love language is physical touch for men or women, men, especially listen right now, men, if you need touch, you need her to touch your hair, you need her to touch your body, you need her to be sensual and sexual with you, you have to visually and vocally explain that by saying partner, and I say partner because there might be some listeners who identify with same sex. Oscar? (laughs) Right, no, sorry, so there's a a thing. Maybe maybe you can help me correct this, right? Okay. Uh, so we did a, a Valentine's episode. Before you start, Oscar, we're going to get back to you, Desiree, because I, I love the, the conversation, but go ahead, Oscar. Yeah, yeah, I no, sorry, it. sorry. It was just, he pointed it out, so I was like, okay. Um, so Brandon likes to refer to his girlfriend as his significant other. There's no mm-hmm. problem with that. The thing that I pointed out that only I've heard that phrase is when you're referring to the same-sex couple as mm-hmm. a significant other. Brandon didn't know this. It took him by surprise. He's like, well, not really sure about that. We've had some people, but just on opinion, there's nothing factual about it. Uh, But have you heard that on just same-sex couples? Before college, yes. So before I I enrolled into college, hearing people say, oh, my significant other, by association of how it was used in my household. Again, this goes Mm. back to generational learning. Um, Mm. I understood it as like, oh, they must be gay. So I thought for a full year, my professor was gay and he was married with two kids. (laughs) And because my mentor had taught me based off of what I was surrounded in my household, significant other was code language for same-sex partner. Got into college, got educated and woke AF and realized it has nothing to do with that. So I- Thank you, Desiree. Yeah, so I refer to <laughs> coming from Latino to Latino, for that's sure, for stuff sure. that we heard in I feel you, I feel you, I feel you, I feel you, I feel you. So <laughs> neither one of you are wrong, <laughs> I think you are right, if that makes sense. No, no, I feel you. Now we know how to use our language and vocalize it effectively and appropriately because same significant other um, could be boyfriend, could be partner, could be spouse, could be, um, if you're a swinger, it could be your lover using that language. So I refer to my husband most of the time, um, if I'm not calling him by his first name, because I just, me and my husband call each other by our first name. We rarely do baby talk. We haven't in a while, but when I'm speaking about him to other people, I'll say my partner, I'll say my partner, um, because he is, he is my partner in life. And whether he was my same gender or he was, well, he's a male, but even if he was my same gender, people don't need to be concerned about who I am laying down with, but need to be concerned on who I'm committed with. Mm. Preach. Yeah. Good one. I like I'm that one. I'm a very open-minded person. <laughs> and I'm very, uh, very inclusive in my language because I do believe that um, love suspends all language. For um, sure. Hmm. Oh, we were talking about uh, consent. So uh, I was doing like a hypothetical uh, situation. Yes, 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 yes. In the heat of the moment and um, you and that individual. And I say individual again, because there could be someone that is with same sex partners in this. It doesn't always, it isn't always male and female. 
it could be same sex. So um, in the moment you are heated and you're about to uh, have penetration because sensuality and all of the like rubbing, kissing, and in eighth grade language, dry humping, all that stuff isn't actually sex yet. Sex is a form of penetration and that could be penetration, whether it be oral, auditorial, or visual. So anything that has an opening is considered penetration. So gentlemen, congratulations, you just got educated. If you have penetrated any part of your partner without her consent, you have committed rape. If you have actually touched on your individual partner without their consent, you have committed sexual assault. So if you were ever charged, touching is sexual assault. Any form of penetration is rape. And it could be any form of penetration with any body part or object. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a penis or a mouth or a tongue. If you penetrate your partner with a dildo or you penetrate your partner with an object of any sort that is unethical, that is still legally considered rape in the eyes of the law. If you are rubbing down their back and stick your finger in their butt or something like that, I'm just being very honest with y'all. You're yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, is, for sure. That is considered penetration and that's considered rape. We're actually talking about this today before we even got, you know, got Yeah, we were trying to, we were trying to determine what was considered what? Sexual assault, sexual assault, sexual, sexual harassment. And a, lot of men, and a lot of men don't know that difference. And I'll be the first to tell you that I was so in denial that I was raped that I felt it was safer to say sexual assault. So I just shared a little insight with y'all. Sexual assault is any form of physical touch, harassment, or abrasions that are without consent. And then penetrate any form of penetration is considered rape. Um, either which case you should treat them both as equal because they're both uninvited and uh, when practicing consent always use as the watered down term of practicing manners in the bedroom or even at the table um, because I say consent should be used amongst all areas not just in sexual tenses for instance before we got into this call you uh, Oscar on behalf of locker locker room BO reached out and asked for my consent if I'm even willing to share let alone educate he went ahead and practiced manners it's it's respect manners and boundaries all wrapped up in consent mama Tommy will Yes, your mama taught you very well. And I obliged and said, yes, I'm willing to share and I'm willing to talk about these things. So that was him exercising consent outside of a sexual context. So that's why when men say, oh, you can't practice consent everywhere. You can. You absolutely can. Um, if you are ever, I, I keep losing the story, forgive me, but uh, the hypothetical story, just always check in with your partner. Always check. Even if you're both in the middle of it, enjoying it, still check in. Unless your partner expresses to you, stop checking in with me. I'm in this. I'm down. Da, 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 da. Then all right. Y'all have a common thread here together. You have a mutual understanding. But if that is not being expressed in your relationship, then you need to be bringing it up in possibly before the act even begins. That would be the smartest thing to do, uh, to re-discuss re what you're comfortable with, what you enjoy. And this is also just about like sexual health wellness. Like if you are practice, if you are being sexual in any form, any way, shape or form, whether you are a young, <coughs> a, a young listener listening to this or a more mature, older listener listening to this, if you have someone that you are being sexual with and if you're being sexual with yourself, cause let's not hate on it. Sometimes you got to only stimulate yourself if you're a 
alone if you're single. So if you are practicing any form of sexual activity to yourself or to another partner, go deep first by checking what's okay with you because you don't know how much you can take things or how far you can take things if you have yet to discuss them openly. If you are someone who masturbates, and I say this with just, we're, we're a grown audience here. If you're someone who masturbates because that's how you stimulate yourself, how much of that stimulation is based off of what your real needs are or what you thought you needed because you saw that it had to be done this way. So it causes you to go deeper within your spirit and soul to understand who you really are and what you actually enjoy. If you are sensual with another person, another being, understanding each other's sexual needs prior before even making it to the bedroom makes passion not just fucking it becomes passion and mm. that's when you have an ongoing healthy sexual relationship because you have understanding and consent in the agreement before the act even takes place and that way you don't feel filthy either right like some people they they have intimacy with their partners or they do intimacy with themselves and then they feel dirty afterwards you ain't you're not dirty because you stimulated yourself or stimulated your partner they stimulated you what makes it feel dirty is you didn't know what you were even getting yourself into because you have yet to go inward with yourself hmm. i like fire that. fire yeah. i wish i had i wish i had sound effects i would just do the DJ you just did it you just did it yeah i think go, that's the most watered down sense for anyone listening practicing consent is practicing manners and knowing your morals and ethics um in men uh i say this um because it has been shared with me from other male friends who have have unfortunately been victims of sexual abuse as well whether they were young or in relationships there are um, same-sex relationships that can turn, uh, excuse me, there are same-sex relationships that can turn into, uh, give me just a second, I'm going to close this. You're fine. No worries. I'm trying to see how I can mute my messages real quick because I don't want them to be dinging on you guys. Um, and then also so I could think more clearly as I respond to this. Okay, so there are same-sex relationships and um, uh, heterosexual relationships and in both of those relationships consent should be practiced on both sides in a situation where the opposing person I, I don't want to identify who's male or her female because this story goes both ways if the opposing partner is uh, pressuring the individual to be intimate because it's been weeks or they don't want to have um, urges to go out on them and mess up and cheat like I don't know there's so many excuses people can come up with um if the opposing partner is urging or pressuring you or guilt tripping you by saying stuff like oh well, I pay the bills so you should be able to give me this or vice versa um, that doesn't make it okay you should never be guilted or peer pressured into having a sexual encounter even if it's your partner even if it's your spouse because those are under the laws of the eyes that's considered forcible rape and uh, again you're not guilty till proven but the point of it is that person has to live with that trauma so whether that relationship succeeds or it falls under that person now has to undergo intense therapy to be able to learn to love themselves again to not continually be in a cycle of abuse wow now there's a lot of stuff that has layers in this right uh, but the the truth just is like men and women are just as equally um aligned in how they can persuade and pursue and peer pressure 
but statistically proven, um, it, it goes otherwise. It's usually men that are leading, and I don't mean that to sound like a butt, but statistic, ugh, statistically, that is what is being proven. However, the, the thing with sexual assault is because it's so heavily burdened on the individual and the family that gets affected and the other families that are the opponents that are the assailants and the accusers, most of these cases don't ever even make it to court because of the amount of emotional turmoil it causes. Mm -hmm. So some cases never even get put into the statistics because they have yet to be reported. That's not saying if you're hurt, you need to go get reported. If you feel in your spirit that you don't have a safe space and you don't have anyone you can confide into privately with confidence, I would encourage you to report because that's the only way you're going to be able to get a restraining order and away from that individual with custody and help along the way. If that is not an option for you because maybe you have been threatened or maybe you've been told that you would be um, hurt or they would go after your family, find a confident person that you can share this with in private. And if that person is nowhere on your side, maybe it's a family member that's a, a related to the accuser, you can actually call sexual assault hotlines and they will get you connected with an advocate like myself. The lines are always open 24 seven, seven days a week, no matter if it's a COVID, no matter if it's the end of the world, the lines directly ring and someone like myself will pick up that call and um, help you deescalate the emotional panic that you may be having under help you understand where you're at in that moment. And then when you're ready, we'll then go into the, would you like to come into therapy? Would you like us to send someone out to the house just to observe the surroundings? surroundings because everything is done in confidence. So if you are a survivor or experienced any form of sexual trauma and for your own mental health and wellness journey, you would like to come forward but not have to file, you can do that by calling any sexual assault services hotline in your county line. And through the state of California, every county has an actual sexual assault office. There's in the high desert, in the IE, in Los Angeles, and OC. If you go to any other state, the rules may change, but for the most part in the United States, every state does have a free sexual assault crisis center that has uh, trained advocates and volunteers available to counsel and lead you through either the legal process or just the healing and recovery process, uh, whatever it is you're comfortable with. Nice. So you never have to go through it alone, ever. Right. Well, good. Thank you for uh, for dropping that line on on the services out there. Um, the question I have for you, just as now as you were talking about this, um, if somebody were to be listening right now that they know somebody who is a victim, and you know they might have tried to maybe let's say get them to call or whatever, what would be your advice for them to, um, I guess, be able to talk to their friend or their family member or whoever it is that they know? that is currently going to the situation. If there is anyone out there who's listening and you identify as a survivor yourself or you have a family member or maybe it's your own partner who identifies as the survivor, I would encourage you to express as much empathy and gratitude and compassion first and foremost. Um, you never have to say, I understand what you're going through, because sometimes you just don't understand what they're going through. And you never want to say something out loud that you can't fully back and support because they will be going through a lot. But using words like, I am here for you as much as I can be. I am willing to listen to you to, to validate your experience because it's true and I believe you. That's the most important thing is to affirm to a survivor that you believe them. Because more, more often than not, they have been denied their own truth so many times that that is why they live closeted about their experience because they feel that they can't come forward from all the denying times that they have. Someone turned them away by not believing them. 
So the most important thing is to believe them, validate, comfort with humility and gratitude, and allow them to lead the process as they see fit. Don't force someone into therapy because you think it's the right thing to do. You can't tell someone what you think is right or wrong for them to do in a moment of severe panic and trauma. So the best thing you can do is to love on them and allow yourself in as much as you can. Don't, don't, um, don't disintegrate your own feelings and boundaries because you feel you have to be at your A game for this person. Be mindful of where you're at too in your own journey. So that way, if you do assert yourself to be their go-to person, you know what your limitations are and you express that out loud to them because they won't be able to read your mind either. So affirm them, validate them, provide companionship and passion and humility. And at any point that they um, begin to get to a space where they feel that they are going to hurt themselves, or maybe if someone listening to this feels that they're going to hurt themselves, I ask that you don't. Um, I can identify with suicidal ideations um, as a survivor and just as someone who's healing through their own mental wellness journey. Um, it is very real. But suicide ideations um, come and go based off of the triggers. But I encourage whoever's listening or knows someone like this, um, do not end your life. Do not give up because there is purpose and meaning for your life. Um, had I taken my life when I wanted to at the time of my assault, I wouldn't be able to share this message with you all today. Your stories and the circumstances you go through are living, breathing proof to making dramatic and political and social and historical and generational change. Just please choose to continue to wake up day in and day out. I appreciate you not doing that. You know, I think it takes more guts to continue to do this road than, than to take the easy way out. Um, I feel like that's with any other situation and me personally, I could be completely 100% wrong. Um, I have one more question, but I want to make sure that B gets everything out before I ask. No, go ahead, man. Um, go ahead. So as hard as this has been for you, uh, uh, you know, you could just make it short and sweet if you want to. Um, if you were given the opportunity to sit down with your attacker, would you say anything? What would you do? You know, kind of, if, like I said, if that's comfortable enough for you to answer. All of a sudden I got to go pee. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of did get to do that because I did go to trial. I did go to court. Um, I got to sentence him, not me sentence him, but like I got to be in the room while they sentenced him. And, um, when you go to trial, you are offered, you don't have to do it, but you're offered to do a victim impact statement. Basically, it's your final words to the assailant and to the jury so they know how much this situation has impacted the victim, hence victim impact statement. Um, and I agreed. I was like, no, I want to speak my mind. I want to tell him what I think, blah, 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 blah. Um, and in the history of the cases in Riverside, victim impact statements at that time had always been very aggressive and screaming and a lot of cuss words. Um, I had time to chew on my victim impact statement. I had time to prepare it. And uh, it started off with a lot of anger, righteous ass anger, <laughs> a lot of mean things too. Uh, but then I went inward with myself. Um, like I said, I made peace with my inner child. I made peace with the situation that was at hand. Making peace with it doesn't mean you get over it. It just means you, you kind of, you come to a space of understanding. Um, and, uh, my family had not made peace with the situation. If my husband or my parents had gotten on that stand, it would have been a whole other conversation being had. But um, I got up, I read my victim impact statement to him. 
and it is public. It's on my Instagram. Um, I shared it when uh, Christine Bradsford, uh, excuse me, Christine Bradsford shared hers against uh, Senator Kavanaugh. I believe he was a senator. When that whole situation came out, I was outraged on how many people um, discredited her victim impact statement because they felt since it happened so long ago that her story was made up. And seeing the way she had to read her victim impact statement 20 plus years later out loud in the jury was a vivid reflection of what I experienced. And I knew right away this woman was not making that up. I could tell by the way her body was responding, the reactions on her eyes, the reactions of her nervous system, how shook she was, having to even go back to 20 years prior in her memory to reshare this out loud to make Kavanaugh not be one of the um, officials. And uh, there was a big old controversy of all these people siding with Kavanaugh saying that she was just trying to take down this man. So I was upset and I was outraged and I knew 100% watching that, that she was telling the truth and so did my husband. So I put my, my personal victim impact statement um, out on the internet at that time to validate that your victim impact statements, whether you write them 20 years later or you write them 20 minutes after, they are going to be heavy as shit to stay out loud in front of the person who hurt you. And uh, mine's public. Um, not a lot of people will find it because I kind of buried it in some pictures on purpose. <laughs> um, but in that statement, um, I did speak my truth. I shared with him how troubling my life has become because of the situation. I expressed to him that simple task, like going in my front yard to let my dogs out to use the bathroom is terrifying because I never know who's watching or if someone's on the corner looking at me like he was. Um, I expressed to him that simple task, like driving alone in my car at night is terrifying because I'm afraid someone's going to hit me and repeat what he did to me. Um, I expressed that the challenges of what it brought upon my marriage intimately has been very troublesome in my marriage at that season, we had only been married for a month and I could not have any sexual activity with my husband because of this. And um, I said out loud to him the, the pain that it caused for me to try to be normal around my friends again when I was the odd friend who now was on antidepressants and jumpy all the time. And it's always awkward when you're that friend who experiences something traumatic amongst your fun group of friends. And they're like, come on, loosen up. You're like, I can't, <laughs> I can't right. loosen up. So I lost a lot of friends because of that, because I was, um, I required too much babysitting quote unquote. And I don't mind it. I see now where they were coming from. I'm not mad at them. I just know that I, that wasn't the friend group for me at that time. Right now I have a new friend group that understands and I appreciate that. And, um, I actually, in the midst of my victim impact statement, I just couldn't take it anymore from looking at the paper. Uh, I won't say his name. I'm just going to refer to him as John Doe. Um, in the midst of my impact statement, I said, John Doe, look at me. I know you recognize my voice. I know you will definitely recognize my body. And I know you will recognize my screams. So I need you to make eye contact with me right now. In the history of situations like this, it is illegal for you to make eye contact with your assailant or it's heavily not encouraged. Um, I kept saying his name until he looked at me and I said, I know you know my name. You met me as Desiree Ramirez. You hurt Desiree, excuse me, you met me as Desiree Contreras and you hurt Desiree Contreras. Today I stand before you as a married woman, Desiree Ramirez, and you will never forget my name. And I will never forget yours, John Doe. John Doe, these are all of the things that have changed about my life since the night of, the, of, our, of your assault against me. And I went in and gave description about it and um, he locked eyes with me. 
and I'm crying out of anger and pain. I turn around and my husband's bawling and just looks outraged, like ready to jump the seats. And so does my, my dad. My dad looks like he's ready to pop off. And I'm like, whew, hopefully nothing goes down. Um, and then um, I kept calling him. I just called him by his name all the way from the beginning to the end. I kept saying his name, saying his name, because I said, I know damn well I'll never forget your voice. So I hope you will never forget mine. For the 14 years you are sentenced, you will hear this voice when you sleep at night. This is the voice you're going to hear. And um, I finished it, and I actually told him in my victim impact statement, I forgive you. And the only reason why I can forgive you, John Doe, is because I understand that you must have experienced some form of deep traumatic trauma in your lifestyle that allowed you to think that this was okay. So I have forgiveness for you because I understand you acted out on a season of your life where you had no understanding of who you were. Towards the end of my victim impact statement uh, that I said on November 23rd, 2017, um, just about one month shy of my one year anniversary of the assault actually. So about a month shy of him and I seeing each other again for over almost a year. Um, we locked eyes in the courtroom. I read my victim impact statement out loud to him. I kept repeatedly saying his name over and over. And um, I ended it with telling him that I do forgive him. And I forgive him solely under the premise that I knew that if I, for me, the person that I am, this isn't for everyone, this is just me. I would have no reverence of even any form of healing for myself if I allowed him to have so much control over who I could become. So I made the conscious decision to forgive him and have empathy to understand that, yeah, he did a very awful thing, not just to me, but two other girls prior. But in this moment right now, I can't speak on them. I can only speak on me. And what I can say is he must have gone through something really crappy in his own journey that allowed him to even fathom the fact that if you think going out and striking the back of girls' vehicles to find your little one-off to to assault them, to rape them, is how you get your kicks. You must have been going through something way before this whole situation came about that really had you yeah, off his sure. rocker, had him off his rocker. So um, that allowed me to have forgiveness. And maybe that's the Christian in me. Maybe that's my religious roots. But I also know coming from a spiritual place of who I am today, harboring anger and resentment holds you back from so much power and beauty. And in the holistic approach of who I am today, I knew that where I was evolving and how I was blooming, if I allow a rooted rot to stay in this plant, it's gonna infect the whole crop. And I saw myself as blooming. So I had to uproot, dig that out, toss out that weed so I can bloom a harvest. And I knew the only way I could do that for myself was to have forgiveness. So I forgave him. And um, my husband and my parents have a different story. There's this very much not like mine. Right. Uh, and that's, oh, that's okay, that's valid, 100% yeah. valid. Um, and my parents are still on their healing journey from all of this. Uh, he'll get out in 14 years. So I think when I did the math, I'll be 37 or 38. So I'll still be very young. Um, I could be off on the math, but at the time, I think I remember that was what we calculated. And in, in the state, illegally in, in the justice system, if someone were to sexually assault you, you have the right as the survivor to fill out a form saying that as mo the moment they get released, you will be notified, um, regardless if you live in the state or not. You should, be no you should know if your perpetrator gets released. And so I filled out that paperwork. So when that season in his sentencing comes up and he gets released, um, I will get a call and get notified whatever stage I'm at in my life, whether I have kids or wherever I live. 
And I'm 100% sure I'll be triggered. 100%. Just the right. idea of knowing he's out and about. But I have faith in my spirit that this guy is going to have a lot of time to think about what he's done. And hopefully he'll get some therapy in there. I hope so. Um, you can stay if you're all right. What'd you say? <laughs> so he'll get some therapy, all right. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, I, I've had moments where I've thought like, okay, I channeled like a chinguana bad bitch in that courtroom. I, I channeled her and I said my piece. But then I have days where uh, I, I cry. I feel like I didn't say enough to him. I didn't spit at him the way he spit at me. I didn't hurt him the way he hurt me. So there, it's, it's here and there. Some days I feel very empowered that I even had the opportunity to do a victim impact statement because some people never are even given that. Right. Uh, so I, I have gratitude in knowing that that was offered to me. Um, I'm grateful that the justice system worked in my side because I know that it's not the same for everybody else. I'm fortunate that the Riverside County Police Department did their part by making sure this guy was off their street. So I'm 100% proud of that. But then I have days where I have righteous anger. I have righteous anger for the survivors who are still living with those perpetrators. I have righteous anger for the days that I think about, oh, he didn't get enough sentencing. He should have got more. He should have got more. But what is, all I can do is be accountable for myself. I can feel and I can embrace and I can empathize for everyone I encounter who has a similar story as mine. But I also have to set my boundary and know yep. that at least in my bubble, this is what I can only take care of and for myself. I made peace with it. He actually looked at my husband and called him out by name because um, I had mentioned my husband's name, the victim impact statement, which was stupid. <laughs> uh, but at the time, <laughs> it felt very empowering to be like, I am Desiree Ramirez, married to Ricardo Ramirez. I was like, mother effer. Um, but he actually, ironically enough, I, I, I believe that God is real because this has never been done before in a courtroom. It's not allowed. Um, my therapist and my advocate was just like, he's not supposed to do this. He's not supposed, like, they were very furious. And I was like, what? what's going on? What's going on? I was so confused. He whispered to his attorney and then his attorney asked the, the judge, uh, judge, blah, blah, blah. I don't remember what his name was. My client would like to speak to the, the, the they called me a victim, but in my head, I was like, I'm a survivor just on paper, but I'm a survivor. Don't call me a victim. Right. <laughs> uh, on paper, you're called a victim. But in my head, I was like, I will never refer to myself as that negative connotation ever. Right. And, That's um, good. Like the, my client would like to speak to the victim and the victim's family. And the judge said, okay. And I was like, I looked at my advocate. I looked at my therapist who was there with me. And I looked at my parents like, he's going to talk to us. Like I said my piece and that was supposed to be the last thing. I don't want him to say anything. And, um, he got up with his chains and his jumpsuit and he stood up and looked directly at me and my heart started racing, like racing. Cause we were making eye contact. Yeah. And then he, I was like, I kind of became paralyzed with the exact same fear. Like it was almost right. like he, he could have been right there breathing on me. Cause I felt terrified and um, that's why that's not allowed in the courtrooms. But somehow we got away with it that time. And he looked at me and he said, Desiree Ramirez, I apologize for what I did to you that night and what I've done to others. I understand my ways were wrong. Um, I'm a father with two daughters and I have a sister. And every day it eats me up with what I did to you that night. I could never live with myself. I can never live with myself. Um, I have to live knowing what I did and what I was charged for. 
and I can hear my dad behind me like grunting, like, like just like, like, you know, just not receiving his, his message. My husband couldn't make eye contact. My husband was gripping his fist in his seats, sobbing because he had righteous anger himself. And he was just, he know, he's like, my life changed. My wife has never been the same person because of this. I don't, I'm not even with the same individual I proposed to because of this. Cause she changed her. Like, we literally had a date all over again. Cause who he met at 14, when we started dating at 18, who he married at 20 or proposed to at 23. I was none of those girls anymore. I was a completely different female. And so I can feel the rage from my father behind me. I can feel the rage from my husband next to me. I can feel the confusion from my advocate and my therapist beside me. And um, I just, I kept locking my eyes with him and I received his forgiveness because something in his eyes, and I could be wrong. People can make their own opinion of it. Whoever are the listeners can make their own opinion of it. But in my spirit, I felt that he was sincere. I, I don't know what it was. It doesn't change what he did. It doesn't change my anger towards him. And it doesn't change his, it, it doesn't change the, the circumstance. But in that moment, something about the way he and I locked eyes, I was like, wow, he's sincerely apologizing to me. And he said a couple of more things and then the judge kind of cut him off like, okay, you're going too far. Um, he didn't say anything wrong. He was just like really extending his apology in like every detail you can imagine. And they kind of cut him off. And um, I never said anything. We just locked eyes. Me and him just kept our eyes locked on each other. And as I have tears streaming down my face and I could just see some, some sincere some sincere apology. I just felt it. Um, I didn't say anything. I just went like this and kind of nodded my head. Like, not that I forgive you. Not that I agree with what you're saying. Right. But like, all right. Okay, cool. Well received. Like, that's kind of how my mannerism was because I went from feeling so tensed up and terrified of him even looking at me to in the midst of his entire long apology, I started loosening up and loosening up and my shoulders came down. My teeth unclenched. My jaw got less tightened. My hands weren't sweating as much. And I was like, Call me boo boo to foo, but I feel this guy's apology. Like I can feel it. I can see he knows he effed up. And um, eventually uh, we closed the case. They read out loud what his sentencing was. Uh, and I was in a daze at that point. I was kind of almost like in a whole other realm. Like I don't even remember hearing them say, like, okay, court over, blah, blah, blah. Like it's like after his apology, I went into a totally different space. Like, I was in the room, but my mind and my mentality was somewhere in like an ethereal, surreal experience because it was like I needed to hear that in order for me to forgive myself. I needed to hear his apology for me to understand that I was never at fault. And it's the twisted side behind it, but any survivor who's listening will know like, yeah, it's twisted and it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense to you because for so long you carry the shame. So when you hear the perpetrator own up to their wrongs and own up to their shame, it releases off of you. And you realize I was never at fault. Like you can keep saying, I know I'm not at fault. I know I'm not at fault. When your perpetrator takes it off of you and they say that was my shit to carry, never yours to begin with it's a whole day. It's almost like you're being reborn or like baptized and having that very spiritual experience. And, um, next month I know I'm walking out of the courtroom and I, it was for the first time in almost a year, like the tree, it's like, it was like a movie. It reminded me of like Bruce almighty. Like all of a sudden the sky was bluer. The clouds were more fluffier than ever. The trees were as green as can be. And 
I was like, I stepped into like a Walt Disney cartoon film right when I left the courthouse because everything became colorful. Everything came alive because I was dead for a year. I was dead for a year in my spirit, in my heart, in my mannerisms. I was so cut off. I wouldn't connect with anybody because I was terrified what was happening. And then the day after that same day, leaving the courtroom, it was like my soul re-entered my body. And that was such a pivotal moment. And the next minute we went to go eat and I was like, cool, we done with this. Close the books, change the chapter of my life. And no, then the, the chapter of the aftermath of trauma. Revisit. Right. And that's the journey that I'm on now. Um, making peace with the night terrors that come and go. Uh, learning how to watch um, horror films again or learning to watch drama films again that have very sexual scenes or graphic scenes. Uh, these are things that I never had issues with when I was younger, pre-assault. Now, post-assault, like, I don't even like pumping gas alone, especially if I'm the only female in the parking lot pumping gas. It's even triggering to visit a gas station again, let alone an Arco gas station. Um, so the aftermath of healing, like, you think, you think it's over, but it's not over. You're still learning so much more. And um, it became a sense of empower empowerment for me when I was interviewed and got hired at the agency because I egotistically, and I say that because I can own it, I egotistically assumed because now I work for a rape crisis center that my pride is bigger than my pain and I can operate in that. And um, no, I, I got a reality check in that. Yeah, you're a heal. I mean, yeah, you're healing. Yeah, you're an advocate. Yes, you're an activist. You go to the rallies. Da, da, da. You do the front face work. But behind the scenes, you're still really grieving this. You're right. still grieving this. And I find grace over myself and I can find forgiveness on myself by knowing we all experience that. You can be front face a dad, but you can still be struggling trying to figure out how to do it. You can be front face an awesome husband or partner, but you can still be struggling trying to figure out how to do it. So that's why like everything we see in media, it all has a backstory, you know. I don't like Trump, but for whatever reason, that bastard has his own story that kind of gives me a sense of empathy. Not a lot, but a little bit for him. But at the same time, it's like there is no one way to do things in life. And we right. are products of our environments, as shitty as that is. We can change that by breaking down generational purposes and taking accountability back into our own hands and owning our truths. But what good does it do to harbor that much anger? What good does it do to harbor and anchor in on your body and your spirit that much pain? It's, it's debilitating. So being open that I'm a, a work in progress and being public that, yeah, my shit's dark, but my shit was dark before it ever got to this. It just so happened that this was the cherry on top of an already melting ice cream cone that got my ass into therapy. Yep. So sometimes we go through things in our lives that, we could never anticipate or even ever swallow like that happened to you or yeah that happened to me like there are things that are going to be so icky so icky icky but if you just show up the next day whatever it is if it's show, showing up in your bathroom to brush your teeth crawling out of bed showing up in the shower showing up to work showing up as a partner showing up as a spouse showing up as a parent showing up as a teacher showing up as an employee it's it's that simple act is what makes you stronger just showing up because everything else will begin to fall into place. Just stay true to your own story. Stay true to your integrity. Stay true to who you are. And in areas where you're confused, pick up a book. We got Google on our fingertips now and start educating yourself. Um, 
it's been a long journey. Whew. Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, hard, hard to hear too. You know, like I said, Des, you know, we got love for you, girl. Um, definitely, man. Definitely, you know. My first time meeting you, man. I'm already with you know up in arms. You know what I'm saying? You know, but um, I, again, Des, you know, just gonna wrap things up here. You know, we're like two two hours and fifteen minutes in. Yeah, um, cut it all if you need to. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. Like I said, I, I know I said it in the beginning, and I might have said it in the middle, and I'm gonna say it again. Is you're inspiring for perseverance and self empowerment. Um, and I hope that gets really uh, set across, you know, this entire podcast. Um, B, I don't know if you have any last last words. I, I, I agree with it all, man. Um, so empowering that you, 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 you've been able to, you know, get through this, go through the process and be able to, to live your truth, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm inspired, man. Uh, and I'm grateful for you. And I thank you for everything you've gone through and everything you will do for everybody else who's listening. So I appreciate you. Thank you. I am so grateful to have been offered and and given this time to share with you all. And forgive me for being very um, forward and, mm-hmm. and, and vocal. And sometimes I, my, my best gift of vulnerability is also my kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm a very vocal and deep person. It's a gift but it also could be my curse. <laughs> so uh, for anyone out there, if I may have struck a nerve or possibly may have triggered you or made you feel uneasy with this conversation, I'm, I'm not offended and you should not feel guilty for that at all. Um, for the listener who this spoke directly to or for the listener who you feel that this gave you a lot of information and insight, thank you for giving this us this time with an open ear to listen and for anyone who did feel um, triggered or maybe some childhood wounds resurfaced, I encourage you 100% to uh, seek out professional help. It doesn't make you less than, it makes you more. Uh, seeking out professional help is such a powerful gift and tool and resource that is given to us. If you don't have the financial means to get professional help, sexual assault services offer it for free. So if you are in the IE area, San Bernardino Sexual Assault Services, which is the acronym for SBSOS, San Bernardino Sexual Assault Services offers um, free counseling services for anyone in the IE, all the way from uh, Rialto, all the way up to High Desert and Palm Springs. So if you are somewhere along that county line, you can go to San Bernardino Sexual Assault Services and get free counseling. Just give them a call, a quick ringing. They'll get you on the phone with a counselor. You can share as much as you wish or as little as you wish, but they will ask at the end of the call if they would like to set up, if you would like to set up a counseling service. Maybe the first call might be too heavy for you, but after a couple of calls, I encourage you to go in for your session. That's where my journey began. Um, in the Riverside County, they cover all the Riverside County, Corona, Harupa, Eastville, um, is Riverside Area Rape Crisis Center. You can give them a call as well. I will send all the direct contact numbers and uh, information links to their websites to Oscar and B, so that way they can put it in their show notes if that's something you wish to look out for. Definitely. And um, Project Family Sister is right here in Pomona. They cover all the way from Pomona up to Whittier and Highland and um, Rolling Heights. So if you happen to live in within those areas, you can go to... Uh, Project Sister, which is not female 
not just female, it just so happened that the name was created that way. <laughs> but uh, they, all these agencies uh, serve all ages, all class, all gender preferences. You never have to feel discriminated or pushed away. And then in LA County, there is um, Peace Over Violence. That's all of the Los Angeles County. You can go there as well. And then in Orange County, there is another one. Um, I can't remember the name of the one in Orange County off the top of my head, but I'll still provide it. So that way all parts of California is kind of covered for you. And if you happen to identify in one of those living city areas, you can see the show notes and give them a call. And if that's too much for you, I'm 100% comfortable with you DMing me. My Instagram is Desiree Ramirez with two Zs. Um, you can DM me. And if maybe that's the first person you ever want to disclose to is myself, your information is confident. Um, I will not disclose any of it. Uh, but please keep in mind, I am um, registered. So if you do happen to confess some very heavy information about attempting to hurt yourself, I am a mandated reporter and I will have to report that. So just throwing that disclosure out there right now um, and just know that your life is worth living for and that you will come through this on the other side, uh, the good side. And um, you're not in this alone. And I don't, uh, don't, don't box yourself because it's sexual trauma. Please provide patience and peace over yourself because trauma is evident in everyone's lives. And if that person in your life cannot understand or relate to your sexual trauma, I'm sure there's a traumatic event that they can understand and that would help them provide context into where, where you're at in your life and what you might be feeling. Um, so I hope that this may have provided some help in any way towards you guys, um, towards any of you who are listening, male or female. And uh, I just wish you all the best and I wish you all healing. And I wish you all um, just- Namaste. <laughs> yeah. Just Peace. Peace. Right. He's doing a podcast. I know. <laughs> It's, I don't know how to turn off my messages right now. Oh, You're my fine, Des. Goodness. No worries. Sometimes I quit it. Well, again, uh, Des, thank you so much. I appreciate you, you as a person, as a spiritual being, as my a friend, survivor. as a survivor. Um, I hope nothing but the best for you and Ricardo and the rest of your family. Thank you. Um, I, I can only imagine how hard the journey's been for all of you. Um, but you guys are here and you guys have persevered and you guys are on a good track to head that way. Um, like I said, and on behalf of, uh, locker room BO, we wish you guys, uh, prosperity and more health and, and, you know, safety. And if there's anything we can do, um, besides just podcasting and helping spread awareness, please feel free That's to cool. let us know. Uh, we'll get involved. We'll, we'll help you spread message. Like I said, um, and yeah, we're here for you and your family. So, appreciate y'all. Just Thank keep you. your man about consent and manners. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we have to start watching what we talk about. <laughs> um, yeah, now y'all are considered a, a a valuable resource to your male community that identifies as male. Yep. So, do your part. <laughs> we will. We sure will. Thank you, Des. I appreciate it. Um, and yeah, guys, if you guys are looking for uh, inspirational quotes. Uh, definitely give Desiree a follow and uh, you know, she always got the the nice quotes on Instagram on her story. So hit her up. And uh, with that said, I uh, will post everything on the, on the notes, uh, her links, her uh, social media accounts. And if you're interested in her 
husband's music and uh, photography. We'll post those too. And, um, you know, we'll see you guys in the next one. Thank you. Peace out. Peace. Bye.